episode 29 is with Jared Pruitt, who is a retired sergeant from the United States Marine Corps. Jared served with the 1st Battalion, 6th Marines, and deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. We had to split this recording into two episodes due to Jared absolutely nailing the detail. The other half of the episode where we talk about Afghanistan and his post-military experience will be available next week. But for now, just sit back and absorb the very raw and detailed account of a young grunt in Ramadi, Iraq of 2006. And without further ado, the Lead Wasps podcast, episode 29, is live. Oh, zero, 040 zero Alpha, confirm that's bombs dropping on Mazdrak. Right, we're going to start here with an opener. Uh, this is a new thing I'm doing as well, so um, you know we'll test it out, see how it's going. But what's the one thing that you've done on target or on deployment that you are willing to admit now, but at the time you wanted no one to know anything about? All right. Um, so this this goes to uh, right away in the beginning. Uh, we we ripped out with three eight, and we came out to OP Hurea around, I don't know, midnight or something, middle of the night, you know, that was the only time we traveled around and we get there and I go right up to the roof. I'm the designated marksman. So I get up there and I'm talking with three eights, their DM and he's showing me around and he shows me to this place and it's right on the main drag, uh, MSR Michigan. And he says that right there, you're going to be really busy with. I was just like, okay, like, Right on. And, and everything he said would come out to be c- completely true in the next, like, three days. <laughs> like, <laughs> the dude was spot on with what he said. But it, um, anyways, he, you know, they left, and I was just waiting. I was staying up. I was like, oh, man, like, I just, I can't wait to, to get into this shit. Like, let's, let's do this. And I'm trying to stay awake and I eventually just fall asleep sitting in this chair right right in the middle of the lobby and my squad leader wakes me up and he's like dude like go get some sleep I'm like all right roger that like go go and lay down on my cot just take off my boots and just lay down um stayed dressed for the most part and then passed out and I have this dream and this is why I didn't want to say anything at the time because people think I'm loony and people probably think I'm loony just saying it now but whatever. Like, this is a good question. (laughs) Here's your answer. Right. (laughs) Um, so I'm dreaming and in my dream, I knew I was inside a gay palace and I was stalking someone uh, on the ground level. And he was like crawling over rubble and it was an obvious mooge. And he had his AK like carrying it, like he's on patrol, like looking for stuff. And I'm stalking him through the building and he's walking away from me back turned. And, you know, I, I line it up and, you know, squeeze the trigger and then I'm getting woken up and then my squad leader again he's saying this time get up to the roof he's like shouting at me and I'm like oh okay like pull on my boots just throw on my vest and I'm running upstairs and he's yelling at me the whole time like the situation that's going on and you know I catch just bits and pieces like dude carrying an AK and he's going down Grave Street I'm like okay okay I'm getting running up the stairs 
and he's still yelling after me. And I get as much as I can before I'm just out of earshot and get up through the uh, built-in wooden stairs that the engineers built because the other stairs were blown out by an airstrike previously to us yeah. uh, taking over that building. So we get up to the roof and um, link up with the squad leader up there. And he walks me on target. And it it's like the same thing, uh, just what I had been dreaming before. Dude's walking down the street and he turns and he's walking away from me. And it's like the same exact situation. And then, you know, the rest the rest is history after that. Right? Smoke his ass. So that, that was my uh, thing I would have kept quiet about then. But now it's uh, it's out in the open. About the the dream and the reality lining up together like that. Yeah, yeah, like just somehow the same thing happened. Then I woke up and, and did it. It was just like that very trippy. Bro, like if you'd have, if you'd have, if you'd have told boys that at the time, they would have thought you'd be fucking yeah, like you oh. said, like you said, Loopy, and they the you know called you start calling you fucking Neo from the Matrix or something Dude. like that, living in another oh, dimension. Man. <laughs> would have gone to see the wizard for sure right like <laughs> all right man let's uh let's give a little introduction to the to the listeners as to who you are okay um my name is jared pruitt i uh was in the marine corps for five years 0311 um started out with a security forces contract but that was short-lived and we'll get to that story um but I did a, a pump in Ramadi, Iraq with 1-6 and another pump with 1-6 to Garmzer, Afghanistan in 2008. And then uh, got out in 2009, uh, went to college, got married, um, and a bunch of things happened in between there, but moved back to my hometown of Wisconsin and Wisconsin and then uh, became a teacher in a crazy turn of events. And... Mm -hmm. Here I am today. So nice, man. Uh, are you are you up in Wis are you up in Wisconsin right now? Yeah. 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 And you said Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Can, so can I assume that the town is called Wisconsin in Wisconsin? No, no. I was just like, oh, do I want to give away my town name? All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Know, but... <laughs> <laughs> Opsec. Got it. Opsec. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wisconsin's a fucking beautiful part of the country up there. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a nice it's a nice spot. Um, just just cold. Yeah, I'm, I was up there right. in uh, 2007 in in, in Madison. Uh, oh, get out of here! Me and, yeah, me and a couple of boys went up there for the CrossFit Games. Uh, we we done a road trip. Oh, oh and, nice. Uh, we fucking went there for five uh, five six days, camped out with the CrossFit Games. It is epic. And uh, oh, cool. And Madison, you know, obviously you know from being there is a a college town, and it was that good when i was there and there wasn't even any students there at the time it was all you know it was in between semesters so they'd all gone okay. home uh but like madison for me you know and and, and that event itself was fucking amazing like probably That's the best awesome. that two weeks that i was on the on the road trip with the boys is by far the the best time of my life it was like hands it was a life-changing experience just to go and you know travel it was essentially traveling the whole states and um bro we were fucked up every night and just meeting people from all over the world and just literally the best time in my life it was amazing um awesome that's madison though yeah i mean it was fucking yeah, epic good really good mm -hmm. um so what, what how far are we are you from madison then uh about two and a half hours yeah and what's so the I, what's life like where you are um 
Life is, I mean, it's, it's been um, like, so with COVID and everything, it's, it's been uh, really on an uptick out here um, recently. So, uh, you know, that's, that's put things into a different perspective and what we're able to do. And uh, especially having two young kids, you know, we're mostly cooped up in the house or just playing in the yard. So, uh, you know, but, but life is good. Like most places are, have survived the 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 pandemic but um yeah i mean things are things are going good you know i've been able to be doing face-to-face -face teaching so that's that's been really good like um the whole virtual thing back in march through that june was brutal like not, don't want to do that again so yeah i've been very fortunate that way but um no, but life is a uh, life is good up here. I mean, it's a it's a nice little community. It's not too big. It's not too small. So, really, no big complaints besides the weather. It's just a little garbage. <laughs> but <laughs> if it, but we haven't gotten any major snow, so that's been kind of nice. I mean, if you grew up there, that's what that's pretty much all you know. So it's it's yeah, no sweat, right? Um, how yeah. was how was life growing up where, where you are, where are you from? Oh, so life growing up was uh, well. I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid. Um, my dad's been a pastor for well over 30 years now. Um, so it was a, it was a bit of a different upbringing for me compared to like all my friends in school. And definitely when I got into the Marines, it was a very stark contrast, but um, not, not an experience I would change. You know, it was good growing up in, in that, um, in that lifestyle, you know, the values and the things I learned and, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly religious guy, but I, um, you know, I, I like to differ on quite a few things, just, you know, theological points. I'm not like, like, uh, the Bible was written for everyone and we're all able to interpret it in our own way. Like why we can, we can still agree to disagree and get along. But, you know, I've seen like, just, you know, these Christians arguing over theology. I'm just like, Ew. like that, that gets <laughs> ugly, like really fast. Like what? <laughs> what's really going on here. So I, I tend to shy away from stuff like that. But, uh, um, you know, I just had some experiences early on in the church that, uh, you know, stuck with me negative and bad. And, you know, really, really growing up, my grandpa made the biggest impact on me. Um, he was a veteran in World War II and was under Patton's third army. And he wow. was a grunt. Yeah, he was a grunt, and uh, he went through the Battle of the Bulge, <clears throat> and I interviewed him back in, like, sixth grade, and the, the things he told me then was just, like, wow, like, you know, it, I think it was probably about 50 years had gone by since, you know, he left Europe, and it, it still just sounded like yesterday, yeah. you know, he's telling these stories, and, the, and they happen, um, you know, the emotion... You know, sorry to cut cut in, but no, no. Uh, I've heard stories. You know, well, not stories, but I've I've listened to interviews from old Korea vets, guys. You know, guys that are still around for World War Two, and they're you know talking on Iraq, Afghanistan, and they're saying, "Listen, like we would want nothing to do with that. Like our war was completely different. Like I don't know how you can do how you can deal with having to watch watch every step. You know, it might be your last. He and the, you know." time and time again I, I hear these interviews and they're saying like our war was a, a fair and just war we were fighting in any way that wore uniform you know mm. uh, minefields were marked and you know there was no IEDs and all this sort of bullshit 
Um, but at the same time, like we think of them as being like, how the hell could you have survived that? You exactly. Know? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, mad respect for both, both different generations. And I think that's just then, you know, once you've served, you, regardless of what war or what part you play in the military, you just have respect for others, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and I, I always liked, uh, the quote by the Jarhead author, Anthony Swafford, like every war is different. Every war is, or every war is different. Every war is the same or something like that. Um, and it's true, like the same, just different, different guns, different uniforms, but still the same experiences for the most part and emotions for sure. Like, uh, just what my grandpa was telling me, it was just like, wow. I, I don't know why it just sparked that curiosity to, uh, experience it myself you know and that's really where that uh what what lead up to me joining the marines and you know he was army and i for for some odd reason i was always just into the marine corps like seventh grade all my teachers were like yeah you're you're gonna be a marine they put that in my yearbook like (laughs) like like you're most likely to become a marine was mine and they you know they did it for every kid in the class or whatever but it was just like yeah all right sure but uh you know i went i went through high school i played um played soccer the whole time so i don't know i don't know where your allegiance lies but i was a manchester united fan for well i still am so uh (laughs) i mean i right now i couldn't give a fuck about you know we call it football so i couldn't give a fuck about football i'm it's not yeah. a sport that i follow at all um i kind of follow oh, right well, on. i grew up playing rugby and you know oh, cool. I, f- I follow rugby so um i'm very I'm, I'm still aware of sport uh sport i'm still aware of uh football in this country because it's it's the leading sport it's everywhere um so i kind of know how teams are doing and all this sort of you know but mm-hmm. I have no real interest in it. I'll, I'll watch a good game if it's if it's on. If you know if you've got El Clasico or you've got a Man City uh, Manchester sure. derby or something like that, I'll watch those. But um, you know, I'm not going to waste. I'm not. I'm not going to make time to to sit down and you know make it a priority. Whereas I will do that for rugby. It's like that. That's the sport I, I kind of follow. Um, but yeah, Man City is a good good team to pick. We have a thing over here about Manchester City, uh, Man City, Man City, and Manchester United fans. To be fair, is mm-hmm. that if you follow them and you're not from Manchester, then you're a glory hunter. You, you only follow uh. them. You, you only follow them, follow them for their for their winning prowess. But uh, I guess yeah. they're not winning too much anymore. So we'll we'll let you off a little bit. Right on, right. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know what I mean. It probably was that when like back in the late mid to late nineties is when I like caught on to them and would oh, follow yeah, yeah. it. But I mean, in America back then, I mean, ESPN didn't have premier league stats or anything coming up. Like we couldn't watch games or nothing unless if I don't, I don't know. You went some to some bar, but you know, I was a kid, so it wasn't going to happen. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I grew up playing soccer. Um, so graduated and then you know I tried college you know my parents always wanted me to go to college and um tried it out and then what, what really drove me over the edge was uh when the battle of fallujah was kicking off and that's that's when i went in and um 2004 is 19 and just was like yeah i did three semesters you know i it wasn't like i failed out or anything but i still wasn't like in a good space in that time in life i was just 
you know, drinking a lot and not really just spinning the wheels. So, and then with the battle of Fallujah, I was just like, I, I should be out there. Like, you know, this is, this is my generation. This is my fight, you know, like, yeah. you know, my grandpa, all that stuff. Um, I was just like, you know, here, here I go. I just went in, uh, got the, uh, security forces contract, which, you know, um, let me tell you a little bit about that because yeah, crack <laughs> on. I have no idea what that is. It's, it's a bit of a stickler, especially in the grunts. And, um, so my recruiter said, this was my only way to the infantry. He said the 0311 MOS was closed. You know, me being a, a dumb civilian, I had no idea. Like, oh, okay, yes, yes, sir. Like, it's closed. <laughs> Roger that. Like, I have no idea what he's saying. You know, I was just all just wanted to get going. I wanted to go to war. Um, you know, I wanted to get my war on. And he said, security forces is the, is the only way you can get to the infantry. He's like, all right, you're going to do, like, um, you get to go to an extra school. And then you do two years at the security forces station. And then because you're on a five-year contract, you get to do two years in the grunts. So I was like, okay. So most guys who do it would have the standard four-year enlistment. I don't know why he tacked on an extra year, probably because he's a recruiter and had to make fill that quota, right? He, he'd but probably be getting I'm, some bonus for signing you up yeah. an extra year. <laughs> he just he just knew I was super mote and uh he's like, Yeah, I could totally latch this onto this guy and <laughs> I, I fell for it, you know, hook, line and sinker. So uh you know, fool on me, but um <laughs> so I get this five years, but most guys usually do um they go through all their training, do their two years in security forces school, and then they go to the, the fleet and go to a, a regular grunt unit and they're a corporal and, you know, Lance corporals who've actually been on deployment before and come back, but they're still a Lance Cooley. They, uh, you know, they get, they get trounced by these corporals coming in. So everybody typically hates security forces guys because they come in with rank seniority and then they trump the other guys who've actually deployed and, and experienced combat and who know something compared to these guys who've just been standing post for the last two years. Yeah. So, um, so when they get to the grunts, they just have a, a stigma about them. So, um, I don't want to get too far ahead, but, uh, you know, I went through, well, boot camp, uh, you know, it was boot camp. Like, I, I think I experienced it to be, um, easier than I thought it was going to be, but, I feel like a lot of guys say that. And honestly, like I almost got like dropped from my platoon because I had shin splints so bad. Like I was like hobbling around everywhere like yeah. the last month of boot camp. And even my um my senior hat came up to me and he was like, Hey, you know, are, are you okay? And I was just like, Yes, sir, I'm 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 good to go. And he was like, All right, all right, Roger that. I'm like, Yeah. So, you know, it's just just stuck it out, but um it, it was it was easy in the regard that all you have to do is shut up and listen and, and do as you're told. And as long as you don't screw that up, you, you go through boot camp. Like they won't, they won't mess with you more than they absolutely have to. Right. Like just do what you're told, do your job, which is just to learn, absorb everything you can and graduate and become a Marine, you know, this steely eyed killer. 
So that's that's exact. That, that's just what I did. So then after that, you go uh, School of Infantry, which I mean, I, I I love the School of Infantry. I thought that was awesome. Just uh, hiking everywhere. I mean, the mountains weren't that cool in California, but it was still California. So how bad can it be? Um, Where whereabouts do you do that then in California? Is it Camp Pendleton? Yeah, Camp Pendleton. Uh, Camp John? No, Johnson Johnson at Lejeune. I can't. Maybe it was Camp Horno. Those are the names that are jumping out at me right now. But um, yeah, it's like a little chunk of Camp Pendleton. That's School of Infantry. And, right. Um, there you we went up. You know they call this set of mountains Recon Ridge, and we did all that like twenty k humps and and stuff like that. But it was it was it was cool. It was all good training, as good as they could get it at that time. You know this the stuff coming out of Iraq was still you know, being digested and figuring out how to best train that, incorporate that into our training. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm sure they, good training. I'm, I'm sure they would modify training slightly from away from a conventional type, uh, you know, green on green, uh, green type of training, you know, operating over big open fields and stuff like that and working out of wood blocks and everything yep. that comes with the, with, with a green army into more urban urban type uh, ops if, if you've got a rack in the forefront of your your war footing at the time um i'm sure they would have modified training very slightly just one on basic training and in at the infantry school did, did they still or did they uh, do bayonet training when you were there um we did a little bit but um boot camp we did more bayonet training in like oh, really? uh, we didn't do like we, we barely covered like CQB or room clearing or anything at boot camp. You know, we, we learned that we did, we went through that stuff in SOI, but every, every time you like went from one place to another, like in SOI, they were like, forget everything you learned in boot camp. Like, here's what the infantry does. We're like, okay, yeah, roger that. Yeah. And then we went to <laughs> security forces school and they're like, all right, forget about like all the stuff you did. And, SOI, here's how we're actually going to like, and, and in security forces school, like the best thing about that was their room, room clearing their CQB. Like that was all like legit training. You know, that's when we got to use uh, sim rounds and stuff like that. Yeah. And that was that, I mean, that's some of the best training you can get. So I, I ate all that stuff up and, um, I, I mean, this came as a, a complete shock to me at the end of security forces school when our, uh, our squad leader came up and he's like, uh, Pruitt, you and Rupal, who was uh, my best friend at the time, or he still is my best friend, but uh, he's like, hey, you and Roops, <clears throat> you guys are graduating first and second. I was just like, what? Like, <laughs> you guys, were, <laughs> like, like, we we didn't like get in trouble, but we weren't, we were kind of mouthy, I guess, at that at period in our <laughs> boisterous training yeah we were just like ready to just get going and we've just been training for the you know pretty much a year straight yeah and um yeah he's like yeah you're graduating first and second in class i'm like sweet you know thanks and um you know then i get to our first station and uh and that's out in washington um and, and i don't i don't want to sound like stupid or whatever but I, I really don't i'm not gonna i can't say much about this place but i don't know like i did have to sign some stuff so i'm just gonna not say much but 
so this was the security forces place right yeah my first my first duty station and i was only there for eight months because my my roommate my my buddy who graduated second in class he uh he threw a bit of a, a rager in our room one night left <laughs> left and i get a call and i'm out in town and i'm taking one of our my platoon's team leaders to like pick up this car from the mechanic and he gets a call and he's like dude you need to get back to base right now i'm just like what what what's up what i do and he's just like i don't know the details but you need to get back right now and i was like okay so i i went got back and on the way i got a call from you know my actual team leader and he's like dude you need to go up to your room and try and clean it up as best as you can i was like like what what the hell is going on like, <laughs> like i know like i did it i wasn't there that night like i left uh I, I was just out in town that night and uh i get back and it's just wrecked i mean pizza boxes everywhere beer bottles bottles of booze like one of the bookshelves is knocked over like <laughs> just complete chaos and i'm just like oh i'm so screwed like <laughs> what was the like, other guy I, uh, so they they went out to uh, to do the stamp post at at this place. So like they went they went to the wire or whatever. That's like what we called it. So uh, you know I I go and down to our company office and I'm standing in front of our captain and he's like, so uh, Gunny or whatever blah 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 went up and found your room with all of this and he's like listing off, I mean, just stupid amounts of beer, stupid amounts of uh, hard liquor. And if you're 21, which I, I thank God it was at the time, uh, you're only allowed to have a six pack of cans <laughs> and specific to cans because <laughs> bottles you can fight and break and stab people. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're the same over here as well some bullshit rule uh, about only a couple <laughs> of beers in your room it's like come on man fucking hell. it's ridiculous it's ridiculous so <laughs> um so yeah there's like i don't know 150 plus beers and and just it's so they all knew like i i wasn't there but i was like when they were like, did you do this? I was like, yes. They're like, are you, are you shitting me? I'm like, no. And they're like, you, you, you're, you mean to tell me that you drank over 150 beers by yourself. <laughs> I was just thinking, I'm like, I'm the only 21 year old in this situation. Like I, I know my buddy and his friends, like, yeah, fine. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like they would get absolutely scorched over this. And I, you know, I, I'll get punished, but I'll, I'll survive it. I'll make it through. All right. Cause I was 21. So I was like, yes, sir. And they're like, you know, just basically like get the hell out and you're out of the platoon. And I got sent down to headquarters, which was the best thing ever because when I went down there, like everybody treated me like crap and you know, rightly so. Like I just got kicked out of the platoon and you know, I was quote unquote a shit bag. So I was like, all right, you know, yep, you know, shit happens, but I'm going to continue to move on with my life because that's what you have to do. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're telling me to clean all this stuff and, um, you know, shine all the brass that's everywhere because there's just a ton of it. 
so I'm just going through, just keeping my head down, doing all the work and getting stuff cleaned up. And, you know, you know, when, you know, people started to notice that. And one was the, uh, my, my, uh, what was his, he was our gunny. He was our like chief down in the S shop that I was in. And he was getting ready to leave. He was going on his last tour of enlistment before he got his 20 years and retired. So he comes in and he's just like, Pruitt, you've done a great job. I know you don't want to be here. You want to get to the fleet. I was just like, hell yeah, Gunny. Yes, I do. And he's like, all right, I'll get you orders. Like, where do you want to go? And I was just like, what? Like, <laughs> you're, you're serious. Like, you're, are you kidding me? And he's like, yeah, like, where do you want to go? And I was just like, well, I had um, one of my buddies had just left. He had finished his two years at, at Washington and um and he had just got orders to one six and when he he got into one six maybe like a week before all this was taking place and he was like dude we're going to ramadi and i was just like oh oh all right and i you know when gunny said that i was just like that's that's my ticket like and i was like right away i was just like one six he's like you sure i'm like oh yeah one six like let's go yeah. So he, a week later, um, I got my orders. A week after that, I was in my car driving to North Carolina. So, um, so yeah. That's and that's how, that's the start of your uh, your grunt life, is it? Yes. So what's that it, what, is what's the, the culture? What's the culture like in in a, in a infantry marine battalion like that, or a marine marine it's, infantry battalion like that uh, at the it's time? It's awesome. <laughs> At the time, yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> um, like, Is so when I when I got there, we were just getting ready to go to um, CACS, the Combined Arms Exercise, out in 29 Palms, uh, California. So I, I got there like three or four days before. And good thing, too, I like I left my um, I left my leave early to, to get back and get on the base and get ready. So yeah, we, we got there and just right away, it was like, I had that story of how I got kicked out of security forces, like kind of trailing me because uh, my buddy who um, was there already told everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so I had like this kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, like a so, you know, shadow following me. Sometimes, um, sometimes it pays to be a retrobit, reprobate. And in this case, it did. Yeah. In this case, it was like, dude, like, <laughs> you got kicked out of security forces for doing the thing that grunts love to do best, and that's drink. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure right? you played up to that a little bit as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which, I mean, you know, if, if it had been any other night, like, I, w I definitely would have been in that room with them. The, sto like, <laughs> the story of the yeah. guy who drank 150 beers himself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> even though it's complete bullshit but yeah. it's a fun story <laughs> if that guy rocked up to my my section of my my platoon i'd have been all over him like you yes. are coming to my section <laughs> but uh so i actually got put in the same company and same platoon as my buddy who uh who i followed there so that, that was pretty cool so it was like 
I already had a familiar face and he showed me around and, um, you know, he told the story to all the guys and they're all just asking me questions like, did this really happen? Because we, and they, they tell me straight up, they're like, we hate security forces guys. I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like <laughs> they're just, and then they, were, they would ask me the question. They'd just be like, all right. So you're 21, huh? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll be hitting you up later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how old were all those guys i guess I, i'm guessing most of them are about between 18 and 20 yeah, yeah yeah so yeah a lot of them right on the cusp of 21 um especially like the the team leaders and all those guys who had just gotten back from fallujah you know the what six months ago probably it's crazy isn't it yeah man 20 yeah. 20 in the infantry is like an old head if you at that time like when I was oh, 20, when I was 20, I was on my second tour. It was like, it, it's fucking mad. And then you like, I'm, I'm now 30 next month. It's like, how much, how much responsibility I had when I was 20 years old was drastically, drastically way more than I'm, than I'm even going to be considered for right now for, you know, for job roles and stuff like that. It's like, oh, you don't have enough experience in this, this corporate world. I'm like, bro get the fuck out of here like i was literally leading fucking 30 blokes around making sure that none of them stepped on bombs for fucking six months straight like there's no pressure that i can't handle like right. li literally it's the most high pressure job in the world i would imagine being a, like a point man on, on on a deployment like that but uh mm. it, it's it's fucking crazy you can you can do all that and have that much success at, at a young age and you know it, it it is success like all that experience you gain it it's massive uh and that's one of the reasons i started the podcast is to 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 get this out to the world about how you know how valuable the you know infantry guys like myself and you and all the other guests that i've had on are to the to, to society they have so much to offer most are very very you know level-headed critical thinkers mm -hmm. very great problem solvers deal with stress amazingly um mm -hmm. and can and literally learn anything at a touch of a hand uh you know you give them a couple of hours instruction and there'll there'll be an sme in it because they want to take it on themselves and they want to be proficient at it themselves like you don't you don't need to baby them they'll do it themselves um 100%. but yeah um how was it then the the that final pre-deployment training that you got before you went to iraq were you getting all the all of the um experience from fallujah and stuff dropped onto your on your forehead you know as a new guy before you went there was it was that good a good time for you yeah yeah um so when i got there again they uh they just went ahead and said all right forget everything you've already learned like we just you know <laughs> we just got back from fallujah you know they they gained all the the wisdom and experience from um the guys they ripped out with because those were the dudes who fought in the battle of fallujah right so they got you know a little, all the knowledge that they had, everything they could teach them in that short span of time. And then, I mean, they just, they said, like, all we did was patrol and raid houses, patrol, raid houses, patrol, hard knock, yada, 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 yada. I mean, it was all just kicking down doors and walking around. And it, it, and that, I mean, they brought all of that with them back to this next deployment, which, you know, they all knew early on, you know, in this month of, I think it was like late May or June of 2006. And they were like, yeah, we're, they knew they were going to Ramadi. So we went with a completely different attitude to CACs. And I mean, everybody was, you know, we were all serious. 
Like it was like everybody knew what we were in for yeah. type of thing. Um, and it was, it was awesome training. You know, we did the, uh, loaded up into what, what the hell were they like the AAVs and, um, those personnel carriers and did coordinated attacks with, uh, Apaches and tanks and all that stuff, you know, got to work the grunt phone on the tank and, and all that. Um, you know, I, I would assume you guys have like a grunt, a grunt phone on your, on your tanks or something like some way to like, just hook off the back of the tank and say, Hey, uh, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I have never, ever worked with a tank ever. Oh, for real? <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh, yeah. That's uh, cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure if you have them, we probably do have them, but yeah, tanks, yeah. I've, I've never been lucky enough to, well, lucky or unlucky enough. I've never, I've never worked with them anyway. Um, Right on. mainly because the british army has no fucking money so we our training is massively under resourced all the time so that's probably why oh, uh, but man. yeah we we don't have you know i don't know if we have a grunt phone <laughs> <laughs> i'll google it in that, a minute that's that's definitely something i like wanted to ask you about uh, when we get to afghanistan was like all, all the all that stuff about the british army and like yeah i mean I didn't mean any uh, any offense, but like when I first saw you guys in in that little outpost, and there was like just a few heads that I could see, I was just like, what, "Where's the rest of them? Like, is there another outpost like a little ways off here, like satellite, like to support them?" And, and they're just like, "No." I'm like, "Whoa! Like, you guys really do things a lot differently." Oh, um, massively, that, massively, yeah. Um, yeah. And and even even you know the marines and the the u.s army the the u.s marines and u.s army they do things massively different you know they're not they're mm -hmm. their tactics and ttps aren't the same no no um no not at all but um yeah obviously the the british army and you know it's going to be different to the u.s marines but yeah it'll be mm -hmm. interesting to hear what, what you have to say uh what was the situation enemy forces when you when you finally got to iraq were you getting big briefs on how much the, how much resistance there would be in in Ramadi and what you were likely to expect. Mm -hmm. Um. So, but uh, I have to rewind just a little bit because at yeah, CAX, something something epic again happened, and it involves drinking, and it just proves this like just how much grunts just love to drink and have a good time. So, one of our corpsmen, he uh, he he befriended a a gal. At, at on the base and she was able to smuggle in a five gallon jug of jungle juice just you know basically <laughs> pure alcohol with like you know a liter of hawaiian punch in there did that uh, um, did she smuggle it in her coochie yeah she might have <laughs> i know the type oh, of girls man. that infantry guys attract so it wouldn't surprise oh, yeah. me if she could yes yes oh man oh that's funny uh <laughs> Yeah, so uh, long story short, we got we got busted, and uh, the whole platoon went, like came under fire, and it was just uh, another hallmark in our infantry career that uh, we almost all got NJP'd for um, having a little bit of fun with Jungle Juice one night. But <laughs> yeah, a good time. So uh, <laughs> so uh, so September 9th, we left the states for Ramadi, Iraq, and. Uh, the first thing we did was uh, land in Bangor, Maine to, for some odd reason, I guess they had to refuel because they, uh, I don't know, whatever, airplane stuff. Um, but anyways, they let us off the plane, which was a big mistake because we bum-rushed the airport bar and 
uh, don't remember getting back to the plane. So that was fun. Uh, and then we got to Kuwait on September 11th and um, flew into, I think we flew straight into Ramadi from there, or we might have stopped at TQ. I don't know. My memory's a little fuzzy, but uh, Al Takedam was a, like a halfway mark between Kuwait and Ramadi. Yeah. So I, th I think we went like via there, but uh, flew into Ramadi at night. Um, and just that first night, it was just kind of, we, they showed us where the chow hall was, where the bathrooms were. And then they showed us to this giant tent that was just filled with just cots. And so just bivouac there. And then the next day, we uh, we go into this large building, a um, bunch of, you know, the foldable metal chairs are set out, and death by PowerPoint, here we go, right? Yeah. Uh, so this, this officer comes in, and, you know, we're all just, you know, he, every, you know, somebody said, like, shut up or whatever, so everybody quieted down, and the officer comes up, and we're just sitting there, like, just selling looks on our faces just expecting the absolute worst and he pulls out this wooden chair stands up on it and does a backflip off of it and we're just like whoa all right <laughs> like you got our attention man like <laughs> what's up so he's like now that i have your attention here is your situation and he pulls up this map of the city and there's like big like red dots, big orange dots, all sorts of different dots of different sizes. And um, and the bigger the dot, the more like contact they've had. Yeah. And he's like, here's where you guys are going. And they're all the biggest dots on the fucking map, right? Like OP Herrera, massive dot. OP Hawk, another giant dot. And then there's the government center. And that was basically like, the three outposts at the time that we'd be going to. Um, well, I think, I forget where Apache started out at, or Alpha Company started out. They might've been at OP Virginia or OPVA. Um, but the, that's what stuck with me were, were the places we were going, especially yeah. OP Herrera, because that was going to be our first stop for, for second platoon. Um, so a few days after that, they, uh, we got acclimated a little bit to the city and what do you do? do you, you go out and, um, fam like familiarization patrols with the guys that are already there or no, no, like a couple guys did like squad leaders would go and do that. Yeah. Um, so squad leaders would go and do that and then they'd bring back whatever information they had and you know, it, which I mean, really doesn't mean much until you go out and do it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, experience is gonna, always going to be hands down the best so you know they, they they would teach us as much as we could we went through a few ied classes you know the big thing was pressure plates um you know victim initiated ieds type type of deal so uh we did all that and then it was you know it's time to it's time to roll out so uh let's see so september 16th um, the night of September 16th, we rolled out and, uh, <clears throat> September 17th, you know, probably six, seven, 
eight hours after we arrived at OP Hurea, I was up on the roof doing that, uh, the, the thing I wanted to keep quiet, telling me about, telling yeah. you guys about my crazy dream. Uh, so that was, that was the first uh, contact from our battalion at the time. So uh, what, what happened after that, though, was un, unbeknownst to the rest of the uh, battle space, apparently, was that at the same time I shot, uh, two other guys who are on post shot as well. Because what I think was happening was they were moving into position to, like, uh, start a coordinated attack and so they were moving weapons around and that you know this guy just got caught and you know I I got him and then uh, also the two other guys on post also shot at the same time um, but those for, for one reason or another I don't know why they weren't reported to the higher chain of command so on that day I was the only marine in RAO who shot off around so even though I had three guys confirm it, and one being a squad leader, I got called down to the uh, COC later that day, and our, our lieutenant was like, hey, you're the only guy that shot, and a guy came to the VCP, and he has a bullet through his leg. And he says he was like in the same area as, as the guy that you shot was in, so we have to have you go back and write a statement. And I'm like, no, I just got here. Like, I don't like this is this is garbage. Like, oh, so they were they were trying to send you back to the states to write a statement. No, 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 just back to uh to Hurricane Point. Right. Okay. So right. Yeah. So just out of the city though. Like yeah, I had yeah. to leave my platoon, which I, you know, was not okay with. Yeah. Um. But doesn't my feelings don't matter in this situation, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. They're like you're going back, and I was just like, all right. So we go back and uh. We get back to Hurricane Point, and the staff sergeant from 3-8, who's still helping out with the convoys because, you know, we're still in the midst of the rip, he gets out, and he walks me over to the high back. He's like, come here. Like, I want I want you to see the guy that you shot. I was just like, the guy that I shot's dead. And he's just like, okay. So he's like, whatever. Like, come with me. I'm like, all right, roger that. You know, he's staff sergeant. I'm a corporal. Like, he wins. So we go over there. Uh, this guy comes out, and he's just – looks nothing like him he's got you know short hair he's much smaller and i'm just like this isn't him and my buddy who came with me he was just like yeah that's not the guy because he was one of the witnesses he's like yeah that's not him and the staff sergeant was like well good for you guys but how did this dude get a bullet in his leg i was just like i don't know it wasn't me though and he's like all right well you're still gonna have to go see the captain i'm like sure fine so this dude and i go and see him and he's like all right Here's your witness statement papers, write down what you did, saw, heard, blah, blah, blah. And then he just leaves. Like, doesn't even give us a chance to talk, you know, officer stuff. Yeah. So we're like, we sit down and, you know, I write down my name and then I started on my social and I was just like, I looked at my buddy. I'm like, dude, like, this is, it wasn't him. Like, this isn't the guy. He's like, yeah, bro. Like, so we just, we just sat there and waited for the, the captain to get back and, you know, when he got back, I was just like, sir, like that, that's not the guy I shot. Like the guy I shot is dead. Like we watched, we watched them load up his body into the back of a truck. And, the, and he's just like, oh, all right. <laughs> and we're just like, <laughs> okay. Like, 
All right. So he takes our he takes our witness statements and he just rips them up in front of us. He's like, all right, you guys are good to go. We'll see you later. Like, all right, have a good night, sir. <laughs> and we just went back out to the convoy and um, you know, I, I went and found our, our company Gunny and I was like, hey, you know, can we get back to OP Hooray tonight? And he's like, hell no. Like, we're going back to Blue Diamond. I'm like, damn it, like I want to get back out, you know? And we ended up getting back out the uh the next day, but Man, my squad got to go out on this uh, killer ambush mission the next day. So I, I was pissed. Like I was so <laughs> mad. Like, and we and we could hear it sitting on the outside of the city. Like we could hear the firefights, you know, inside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was just like, if that, if that's OP Hurea, and I missed out on a firefight, I'm gonna be pissed. So then I went and talked to my gunny because I was like, when are we? When can I? When can I get back out there? And he's like, tonight. And he's like, hey. Your boys got in a tick today. I'm like, dude. I know like, you like you it's it's such a mad feeling, isn't it? Like um oh, it's, you, it's frustrating. You think you think the world revolves around you and about you getting your fucking you're you're <laughs> yes. gone on and fucking you're getting your tick in the box for this and that and but nah, it doesn't. The, nah. the fucking the thing's constantly ticking around regardless of who's who's where. And oh, yeah. you no, know, it doesn't it doesn't matter what personalities and what places it's always going to just cook off it whenever it cooks off. But, um, what, you know, obviously for a guy like yourself at a, a, a young, a relatively young age, like, um, how did, how did you deal with, you know, you know, essentially, essentially just doing your job? Was that something that, you know, it was no, no worries, no sweat, or is it something that, um you had to you you took a bit of time to think about obviously being a religious person as well well i you know it, it, it it's always going to be a conflict and um you know the this this uh documentary that uh one of my uh junior guys made in afghanistan uh, it's called once a marine um and on it, there's a quote, and it, it's uh, something along the lines of, regardless of your, of your, you know, the, the circumstances, there's always going to be something, some voice or something telling you in, in the back of your head that it, it's messed up to kill another member of your own species. And, you, you know, that, that, can't, that, that resonates with me, but at the same time, these are bad people, you know, like straight up, like the, the reasons that we got into Iraq, the reasons that we're still in the Middle East, like, okay, like I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. They're a little, they're a little murky, but the, the bottom line is that these people are, are evil. Like they are legitimately evil, disgusting scum. And if they're going to try and, and kill me or, or my brothers, like that's the end of the line for them. Yeah. Like, that, that's not going to happen. Um, yeah. And, you, you, you don't get to choose about the, the bigger wider politics. You just get to decide what's going on in your, you know, your sphere, your sphere of influence. Yep. If someone's shooting at you, you fucking hell, you shoot them back you shoot yep. back at them. Sorry. Um, and you know, if, especially joining the Marines, you, it's, it's no surprise to you that you might have to fucking, um wax somebody at some time but um yep. yeah nobody 
that nobody that I know takes it with any, you know, it's not, it's not a light thing to do, but it's just something you have to do. Um, talk to me about some of your other experiences in, in, in Ramadi then you've got, um, the root Nova ambush. Is that the one that you missed out on or, or was that a different no. time? So the one I missed out on was, uh, we call it toppers. And so I got back out that night, um, after toppers. So of course, like, my squad's there and they're like dude did you hear i'm like <laughs> like i hate you all i just i don't just shut up i, I hate you so <laughs> but they told me all about it of course and i was just like oh, man but it turns out you know the next morning i didn't have to wait long for the next one and and this one was it put everything else to shame i mean we I, I refer to it as the welcoming party. Like this was our, our test, like, Hey, welcome to, welcome to Ramadi. Like, let's see what you have, you know, from, from Al Qaeda. Yeah. And I mean, it was, it kicked off with like five RPGs and just coordinated machine gun fire. And I mean, it was like 360 degrees around us. It what, was absolutely what, wild. What was the, uh, what was the setup? Were you, was it inside so, buildings out of windows or was it in a, like an irrigation ditch or what? Oh, how, how, did okay, you, so, how did you guys set it up? All right, so um, so Opi Hurea sits like right in the middle of Ramadi. Like it, it's perfectly almost dead center. And it's just, it sits on the south side of Route Michigan. And just across Michigan on the north side is the, the worst part in the city. It's called the Souk. And it has that uh, trapezoid figure going around it. Um, it's called Racetrack. Worst, worst road in Ramadi by far. I mean, just IEDs out the ass. Yeah. Um, and, and the insurgents operate in there freely. I mean, they can move and do whatever the hell they want. Like that's, that's their territory. I mean, they, they own that. Um, so Opi Hurea is like this three story building, um, used to be, a, a an insurgent hotbed. They'd use it all the time to attack convoys. And that's why it had the, pretty sure it was a J dam that blew out the, the stairwell going up to the roof and then that's why the engineers had to replace it with wooden stairs um rumored to be a morgue so that's uh that's creepy we all thought it was haunted uh had some <laughs> weird experiences there you know it, it goes back a couple to wet that, dreams uh, <laughs> yeah it's like that you know some some other stuff that i might want to keep quiet uh um and behind it to the south for like 300 meters was this massive graveyard. So it was like a, a city block wide and then stretched to the south for like 300 meters. So as if things weren't creepy enough already, you know, we have that going for us. Um, so OP Herrera, I mean, all around it, there's other big buildings, you know, like this is downtown Ramadi. So there's like high rises, there's Gay Palace, there's the, the Women's College right across the street from us. There's the Saddam's Mosque out to the east um what was the other big target to the east i can't remember it anyways moving on to the west there was uh the twin towers that was another place we got hit from a lot but all those hot spots we just all came at us at, at once and um my squad you know is their turn for uh their rotation on post at that time and it was you know right after morning prayer you know, just, uh, you know, that's when we were introduced to, okay, they, like, attack almost on a schedule. Out First here. light. 
Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's it's the same in Afghan as well. First light, last light, midday, quiet. It's yep. it seems to be the way the way the <clears throat> the way the way they want to operate. Um, yeah. But yeah, carry on. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. Um, so I was up on the roof, and uh, you know, being the DM, I was on the roof a lot. So I was up there with them, and I'm looking at one of the portals where the three eight DM said, "Hey, like this is if you get attacked from here, this is where you want to be." And I was like, "All right, cool." So I was in that portal, and I was you know poking out, looking, searching around, and then I duck out because. They had snipers in Ramadi, so they were like, never stay in the portal for too long. Uh, I was like, all right, cool. So this time when I popped up, you know, I see someone come around with an RPG, you know, and I, and I was just like, oh, I got up. And then it just launches. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> and it's like coming straight for me, dude. <laughs> I'm like, oh, crap. So I like, I like bail out of there and. Um, the post next to me, post post five with the Mark 19, um, the, our squad leader and the and the and the Marine on post in there, he like spears him out of the post because I mean it's heading like right for us, yeah. and he takes him out of the post to get behind the cover of the sandbag wall that's there, and I duck down and we just like I mean the building shakes and then we just hear like four more rip off and then the machine guns start firing and oh my god it was absolutely chaos. And, you know, I pop back up into the window and like, I look down in the same area and it's just crawling, just crawling. And I, you know, we start trying to get that, um, fire superiority right off the bat and just start plugging rounds. And, uh, the dude on post five, he, you know, scrambles back to his feet and hops back up, racks the mark and just starts. Thump, 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 yeah. thump. And, and that is the best sound in the world. Like, <laughs> it's just yes, it great. is. And then and then the following sound just boom, 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 yeah, boom. Yeah, it's yeah. like oh hell yes. So, uh, you know, it, I it's mean, mo- it's, just, it's morale. It's just it's it's crazy that that one piece of Pete, that tool that one tool is so much morale. Oh. It's the same as the A ten. Like the A ten is just sheer morale. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's madness. Oh yeah, it, I mean, hearing that thing go off is, oh, uh, yeah. So uh, the welcoming party was just, I mean, just it felt like the whole city was coming down on us. And, and the crazy thing is, it's like they had enough manpower to attack us with all that. Down the street at the government center, which is maybe a quarter mile away. Uh, same, same thing on Michigan, just south of the street. And then on the north side is like the start of the soup. And they got hit just as hard. And we were just like, it was a, it was a big eye opener. Like we are, we are up against something huge here. Like this isn't just shooting it out like a shootout for a little bit. Like this is, yeah, it was, it was, it was nuts, man. Just crazy. What what was your, uh, what was your um, routine? Were you doing clearance patrols or were you just hanging fire inside that uh, secure base? So the first week or so, we just pretty much sat tight in OP Herrera because, I mean, we were getting contact every day. Yeah. So we had that, um, you know, the first day um, I shot and then it was quiet the rest of the day. Second day, toppers happened. And then uh, I think they had a small engagement like right before nighttime. And then the welcoming party on that third day. And then it was just every day after that. 
we were getting into some kind of engagement. Um, and then we would rotate out and go to our, <clears throat> our next stop was OP Hawk. So that was in the northern part of the city, just to the north of the soup. And it was like, it was in this, I mean, just, it must have been an absolutely beautiful palace. I mean, just some of the artwork and the and the tiling and the and the uh, concrete work was was really cool. Like, I don't seeing different parts of the wor- world. I've always loved, but um, yeah. Well, I mean, they they had uh, well, Saddam essentially had unlimited wealth. He, he he would spend whatever was available to the country, regardless of what it meant for the people. So mm-hmm. he, you know, those, you know, you've got the, uh, what do you call those swords? The, um, I don't know. I can't remember what they're called. I know what you're talking about. Is like the like cross the, sword the things. Freed, the freedom swords or something like that. I can't remember. But um, mm-hmm. those bronze, the actual hands, they were bronze cast in the UK and delivered oh. to Iraq. And they oh. must have cost fucking millions. Um, so like wow. you've got, that's literally just one, one piece of, uh, one statue or whatever never mind all of the hundreds of palaces and all the other shit that they've got in the whole country so they they must have had unlimited spending at some point because obviously oil rich and you know right. dictator uh, under dictator rulership so you know finances pff, whatever Saddam wants Saddam got um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's crazy I, I never went to Iraq and I when I first joined, I actually thought I was going to Iraq, and then they're like, "No, nah, okay. you're going to Afghan." <laughs> I was like, "Where the hell is that?" <laughs> I didn't even know it was a thing. But um, yeah, how was uh, how was it? How was that change of um, AO compared to your, your your first place? So we didn't get attacked at OP Hawk. Um, uh, we that's when uh, the the Route Nova ambush happened. And I think that happened before uh, what what I'll talk about with Utley and Opie Utley. So the Route Nova ambush, we got uh, ISR footage. I think it's intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. Like the first, like one of the first drones that we, you know, like the yeah, little yeah. mini mini the UAB, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and th- they were flying over, and they saw these these guys loading up 155 shells into this back of this SUV and these kids got in and drove it away and they threw a bunch of like brush like just freshly cut brush on top of it to cover it up so we got sent out to intercept them on this road called Nova route Nova so we get out there we intercept them and I'm the first one off the seven times so uh, I'm the first one to like get to the vehicle and I'm, I'm yelling at them you know like i don't remember the words to get out that in arabic to say get out but yeah. um, i was yelling get out get out and i was like you know i had my my rifle up and i was like waving with my fingers like get over to the side and get out of the car and and they did like they apparently picked up enough of the signals to, to do that and got out so and only i'm going approaching the vehicle because you know if it's a vivid like just just me can go like everybody yeah. else stay back right we need some so, sandbags for another day yeah, exactly, man. And uh, <laughs> hey, uh, so I'm going through the vehicle and I'm getting around to the back and it's one of those like um, backs where the window opens and then you have a tailgate to drop down. Yeah. So I open up the window and I'm like, I have my rifle down and I'm about to reach like a giant like bush of shrubs and I was just going to yank it out and rip it out of the car. 
And as soon as I like, I, I didn't even like get to touch the green when I just felt the rounds coming in all around me. And then I just, I heard the noises and I was just like, oh my God. So I like quickly just spun around and got behind the wheel well on the other side of the car on the north side. And the entire like south side is just like kicking up just chunks of concrete, just like spraying <laughs> me in the face. And uh, there's rounds hitting the car. One of the win or windows gets shot out. And I'm just like, oh my God, like I'm so dead. <laughs> and and then I hear, thump, 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 thump. and that's the Mark 19 on one of the gun trucks. Yeah. And uh, yeah, one, one of my boys from third squad was just, thumping away on that thing. I mean, he let out like, like no shit, like a 20 round burst, just completely screened my movement. Like it's, it stopped the fire and I just hauled ass to like <laughs> for cover, man. Like that was, that was intense. And then, um, so I think it might've been just a day or two after that, a convoy from third platoon went out to Camp Corregidor kind of to get like a small resupply uh, and to kind of get a feel for the, the AO. So they did this early morning. Um, so the convoy was coming back and coming back through our little, I mean, dude, this is like, 50 to 75 yards away from our outpost. Yeah. I mean, super close. And we have this like serpentine barrier, you know, like Jersey, like little, those little three foot concrete barriers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we had, a, we had a serpentine set up and they were coming through the serpentine. Well, you know, there's like one, two, three, you know, on that second one in that gap. Yeah. They somehow got an IED in there. So as they're going through, like the middle of this serpentine, the IED goes off and um, hits the lead vehicle and just the buildings right along the street just start firing down onto them. I mean, just heavy machine gun fire, AKs and everything. And that's, I mean, that IED explosion is what woke me up. Like I was yeah. sleeping and I woke up and I heard that. And just immediately I knew like that was way too close. That was way too close. So, and I wasn't the only one. So other guys were waking up and they're like, what was that? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm getting, I'm getting ready. Like, get your, get, let's go. Like something happened. Like we got to go. And, uh, you know, just a couple seconds later, you just hear boot steps just all over the place. Just people just going into action. Stand so two. what's that? Get into their stand two positions. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, definitely stand too. So everybody's getting getting uh, geared up, and we get out uh, out of the outpost. The at this time, you know, the 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 posts on the roof are shooting back. The convoys pushing through the the gun trucks that you know are still able to shoot back are shooting back, and um, the convoy gets back and gets into the little parking lot area, and the driver of the highback that was with them like the it's like a do you know what a high back is i'm gonna guess <laughs> so i'm gonna say no all right <laughs> so you can describe it so high back is like a 
it's like a Humvee truck. It's got like a bed in the mm -hmm. back and then they have these steel walls, like only like a quarter inch thick going around and they have like double doors on the back. So they have them for, to the sets. they have those for like medical trucks, right? On yeah, like Humvee yep, medical exactly. trucks. Yeah. 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 So, so we, they would double as medical and uh, resupply trucks. So, yeah. um, so the convoy comes back, uh, you know, the lead vehicles, you know, shit, it's, it's, it's totally, it's destroyed. Um, the driver got hit and, uh, everybody else sustained injuries in the vehicle, but, um, this, everybody's alive. Everybody's alive. So the convoy comes back, uh, the lead gun truck or the, the rear gun truck gets turned around. Another gun truck pulls out because the first one was destroyed because we got to do a medevac. Um, Utley, he, uh, he got hit in the leg and, um, yeah, he'd, he'd end up losing part of his uh, left leg. And the Humvee or the highback driver was like, not, not gonna, he was just out, out of it, you yeah. know? So my squad leader's like, Pruitt, drive the highback. And I was just like, all right. So I, I just hop in the highback and um, one of the team leaders is, is sitting in shotgun right next to me of third squad and he's like, we need to go, we need to go. And, um, you know, it's a high back. So Utley and our doc is in the back. And I mean, you can hear everything. It's just like, just chaos. The firefight's still going on. And um, we pull out, you know, we finally go. And I'm just, you know, first time driving a high back ever. And <laughs> the combat in Ramadi, like, okay, I, I can do this, right? Yeah. So, and, and, him and this dude is next to me i mean he's just freaking out <laughs> like i mean god bless him like he wants to like get going and so do i but it's just like dude like you gotta calm down bro like <laughs> I, i'm so, gonna I'm, can i guess that he wasn't uh an infantry dude was he just a, a driver or whatever no no he was man oh, he yeah? was like he was like one of my guys that i definitely looked up to really just in show I, I, Oh, I, he was a, he was one of the team leaders in the squad. So, you know, he had, he had done the Fallujah pump and he'd come back and, um, you know, he was like one of my buddies too. So, uh, I was just like, man, come on. Like, but was he in shock like, at the time? Do you think? Yeah. I, th I think he was just like, I mean, none of us had experienced this before. Yeah. You know, like they didn't, I don't, I don't think they <laughs> had that happen to them at Fallujah from what they've told me. Right. So i'm i'm driving and you know we have no way of shooting back like it's a high back like this is a non-combative vehicle unless if somebody in the back is shooting which they're they're not our doc is giving them this dude like he's trying to stop the bleeding and give him aid so you know i'm in the front seat and we're going back through back through the kill zone right because that's the only way out we like we got to get to camp corregidor because that's where the medevac bird will be yeah so we're going through the same serpentine it's just like and we'd all been briefed like secondary ieds secondary ieds and that's all that's going through my mind is like secondary ied so we're going through and uh just even before we get to the serpentine we just get to like ricochets off the hood and like bullet impacts coming up on the windows i mean dude there's like two bullet holes like right by my head like looking <laughs> out the, <laughs> the windshield i was just like oh my god like and I'm just going through, like, trying to keep it as smooth as I can while going as fast as I can to keep up with the first truck. And, like, oh, man, just insane. 
just insane just that sounds like that sounds like one of those times where you're like uh i don't know let's see you've got some some sort of high high speed uh, vehicle that they're they're training you on or you know oh blah 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 this this sort of thing and you're and you're like yeah i should probably drive that thing and they're like no 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 you you won't ever need to drive this yeah, yeah what what if what if one time i need to drive it so i should probably know how to drive it no 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 listen you're <laughs> never going to need to drive this no but seriously i really think i should drive this thing like uh we've got these we've got these vehicles called fox uh foxhounds right now and uh, okay. when they, when they first came came into like uh, what the, like they're only new in the past 10 years so when they first came into service like uh they came up to or i think it was on a training exercise and and uh you know they were there i'm like i think i should probably drive this thing and i'm not i was a commander at the time like i had no license to drive it or whatever and uh i kept pestering the guy like come on i'll just we'll take on a little spin just around the uh around the fob or whatever you know we're on a training exercise no 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 i can't we're not allowed to we're not allowed to but um yeah that's one of those times i think i think we should probably train these guys up to drive this thing just in case but uh, that, that sounds like a pretty pretty cool story um and certainly one that doesn't seem too out of, uh, uncommon for, for Iraq at that time period. No, no, it was, I mean, IEDs were, you know, I think they say it, they counted for like half the casualties in Iraq, half the KAs. And, um, so yeah, I mean, we were, we'd get, IEDs would, and I, I think they killed the majority of the guys in Iraq with us, uh, definitely wounded quite a few, quite a few of us. Um, and Ali, you know, he, he was the first one. So, um, so because they, they got so close, like we set up this, um, new outpost called, and we named it after him, Opie Utley. And, uh, yeah, the, the insurgents didn't like that. Like we got into some pretty, pretty hairy stuff out, out there, but, um, you know, the next, I guess, big thing in, in Iraq would be October 9th was when all the third platoon went out and they got into this giant firefight and, uh, you know, they had to get a, get a medevac and QRF was called out and, you know, they had two gun trucks and two seven tons, I think was the the convoy so they could pull out the entire platoon at once and, and get them out of there. But uh, unfortunately they, they took a wrong turn and would end up on a racetrack where um, the lead gun truck hit an IED and it, it was catastrophic, uh, killed everyone inside and uh, lost three Marines that day. And that was, that was a really hard day. You know, that was, that was hard. Um, But that would, that I mean, that kind of thing would just continue. Um, you know, we'd get into firefights and absolutely dominate. And then we'd, you know, go back out and do a, a mission or something where we'd be on foot and, you know, we'd, we'd get hit. You know, October, I think it was 18th or 19th, we were going to go and we were going to, rig gay palace the the just collapse in on itself because it opened up like a giant view of you know part of the northwest of the city from opi Hurea. yeah 
But uh, on the way out, you know, we had a guy step on an IED just, I mean, it was under all the sewage water that was, that was there that just covered most of the streets and, you know, dude lost his leg. So we just kinked that mission, just said, you know, forget it another day. Um, and then we would get to, so I'll just skip ahead to November 7th. Cause I know like Iraq is taking forever. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> bro, bro, you're good. Uh, you're Listen, there's no time frame on this. Like we can talk as okay. much as you want. If you have, all right, I'm I'm here all, all night long. No no worries, bro. I want right to right hear on. this shit. I'm sure the right, boys, right. I'm sure the boys do as well. Right on. Well, hey, I won't I won't skimp around then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, these these beers are going down way too. Fast. I'm gonna. Call, I was just about to say I'm gonna call in reinforcements to get some someone to bring me some alcohol in a minute. <laughs> right on, man. <laughs> uh so. So uh, November 7th was probably like personally the hardest night and day of, of my life. Um, me and this, this, uh, this junior Marine McCon, he was, uh, he was a good buddy. I mean, you know, he was, he was junior, but I mean, he, he knew his stuff. He was a mortarman and he knew mortars inside and out and, when it came to our platoon from weapons platoon, because we uh, broke down weapons platoon and just made four regular door kicker platoons, yeah. basically for Ramadi. Um, so he came to our platoon and the mix up, and uh, him and I just, I mean, just bonded instantly. Like, got along right away. Like, Ace Ventura, Lord of the Rings. Like, why those two things? I don't know, but it, it worked for us, right? Yeah. So, um, so I, uh, We, we got we got along and we were at the we were in the second fire team and Hancock's team and um, we were both at tail end Charlie so he was on the right side I was on the left side so we would be responsible for watching the six so we would take turns walking backwards and flipping around and I mean we had it down to a science like we didn't even have to like motion or anything we were just changing every three to four steps every three to four steps walking turning around and watching the six and then flipping back um so we had just left out of this place called 17th street security station and we one one of our main route that we wanted to take on the patrol it didn't look right so we took turn uh changed out the route and went out to uh the intersection through a different way. So right as McCon and I are about to get to this intersection, I'm just turning around from checking the rear and he's still walking forward. And as I'm turning, I mean, he just disappears in this orange flash. And then after that, I, there's just darkness. Um, I woke up on the ground, face down. Uh, I get up and, you know, I'm, I'm searching, you know, I got my rifle. I'm like, I can't see. So I get my MVGs down and then it's still just like, I can't see anything because it's just so much sand is in the air, but it looked like, I thought it was fog at first. And I'm looking through and I'm just trying to like find anything. I'm just in a daze and 
I look up, I'm still on the ground and I'm just, and I see this Marine, uh, you know, the silhouette, like helmet, flak, uh, yeah. had a saw. Uh, so I saw that running through the fog and I was just like, the, the only thought I had was get out of the kill zone. Like you're in the kill zone, get out of the kill zone. So I tried to get up and I like fell back down and I, it took me a while to like get up. Like my coordination was gone. Were so you, I, were you knocked thought, unconscious? Yeah. 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 I don't Do know, you know how long, like it must've only been a few seconds if that, I right. mean, I, I woke, I woke up and, um, finally got to my feet and started running across the intersection. I mean, dude, I wasn't even thinking about like stepping on another IED or anything. I was just like balls to the wall, just sprinting, <laughs> but probably to an outside observer, it probably just looked like I had just drank in 150 beers. Right. <laughs> you know, um, Name so thing. I finally, <laughs> I find, uh, another, another guy from my squad and, and I was just like, you know, where's, where's Hackett? Where's Hacksaw? And he points to the side and I just like run over there and I like found, I found the, uh, the team leader and I just collapsed next to him. And he's just like, are you all right? Are you all right? Like, you know, where's, where, where's the rest of your team? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I don't know. And then he's just like, you're not okay. I'm like, no, I'm not okay. So I'm just trying to stay with it. And, um, you know, the call comes over the radio after a few more minutes and they're just like, it's McCon. And then, you know, I watched as second squad who was behind us in the patrol, they came up behind us and, 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 and found them and, you know, called in, called in the, the medevac to, to pick them up. And then, you know, it was carry on with the rest of the mission. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things where, that, that drive that you learn in, in boot camp and being a Marine is just mission first, yeah. like accomplish the mission. And it's fucking you know, hard. Had, it's tragic. Yeah. But at the yeah. time, you know, at the time you, you have no other option other than to just fucking crack on. Absolutely. And that was like, that was my mentality back. Like there was no like concussion protocol or TBI <laughs> back like that. Those were all, they were, that stuff didn't exist yet. Yeah. It was just suck it up. Like drink some water, change your socks, get, get going. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm glad you know? that that, I'm glad that that is a thing that you boys do as well, because that is the exact oh, yeah. same. Keep taking on plenty of water. Make sure you got fresh socks on. You'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that was within like the first five minutes of, of the patrol. And, um, and our squad was, task with overwatch for this we were doing like a clearance op so we had oh shoot we had the rest of second platoon with us and i want to say it was third platoon pretty sure it was third platoon and we went and did this clearance operation we set up in this overwatch position and i went up on the roof and i was just like yo i i called our squad leader and I was just like uh every building around us looks down onto the roof here like I'm gonna be like fodder here in a couple <laughs> minutes when the sun comes up he's like yeah yeah come on down come on down I'm like all right cool thank thank you 
<laughs> so I, I get down off the roof and you know like some 20 some, minutes some section some section commanders or squad leaders would have been like hey you know the principles of cabin concealment right <laughs> make <laughs> yourself no invisible up there <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a it was a losing battle up there for sure <laughs> uh so daylight comes and you know morning prayer gunshot start you know it's just right away um so rpgs come they uh one hits our building and then we get the call that a sniper team is egressing to our location so you're like yeah roger that come on in so we punch out some saw gunners they're laying down cover fire the uh sniper team comes running in from the city and out to the to the north is just a big field where all like intel had intel had pegged for like a bunch of weapons caches and, and stuff like that so that's yeah. where uh other marines were looking and i mean they were caught out in the open just machine taking machine gun fire so they had a hell of a time getting to cover and then we had to run across uh an open field which was a a, a soccer field quote unquote it was dirt but had like you know these just the rectangle it was um, a rectangle though <laughs> Yep, just just a couple rectangles, <laughs> just stand, sticking out of the ground. <laughs> yeah, and our and our best source of cover was just a little dirt mound that in between, you know, there. So we just just hauled ass to the dirt mound and covered fire for each other and just made our way across to to where we had to go to link up with the rest of the company and uh, that whole that whole time going through there, we're just taking fire, shooting back, and it's just it's insane dude like all everything that's going on and you know all, while that's all happening there's the rest of the platoon and third platoon who are doing the same exact thing in an open field like just chaos so we finally get to this we finally consolidate and you know try to get a plan together on this road called tower road and we're like right at the the tip of the northern like we're about to run into the euphrates if we go any further north right? yeah so the only way is south to back to 17th street station because that's that's the only place to go right <laughs> so we just start going house to house cutting across the street back and forth zigzagging clearing out houses all the while there's dudes coming out from both sides on the rooftops just shooting down at us rpgs and then finally um I think it was uh, EOD, finally, like they came out and pushed north trying to clear like a section of the road to get more gun trucks up to us to help us out because it's just, it's yeah. just foot mobile right now. It's just foot mobile. So we're doing the same thing, just gunning house to house, uh, rooftop to rooftop, and we finally get back to these, like the gun trucks. And the gun trucks were just like, I mean, it's like tanks rolling in which is just a beautiful thing. Uh, so we get to the gun trucks and they start like ro slowly rolling with us. I, I mean, we're running, like we're running <laughs> out of here and we get like this. Okay. So this dude's in front of me. Right. And it's a sniper. And I know he's a sniper cause he has the giant pack on and he's just got just shit coming out of it all over the place. <laughs> so, and he, like falls to the ground and he's like i'm hit i'm hit i'm like oh my god like that just went right past me like how did that not hit me but you know he he falls down and we're helping him up and um 
his one of his guys he's like lifting up his backpack i'm trying to get him up he's like he's good he's good he got hit in the he got hit in the plate he got hit in the plate like went through his back and hit his plate yeah so Um, he uh so he's he's good to go he gets back up we just start trucking again and man it was just a wild day dude like i mean that's why we call it the ramadi 500 because we just we just started (laughs) we just did not stop running for like I don't even know how long it took, man. Like, but that, that operation started at like 11 o'clock on November 7th and went to like 10 o'clock on November 8th. It was just like, yeah, I listen, it's, you get, you get those ones where it's like pays to be fit, pays to be fucking, (laughs) pays to be tip of the spear. And you know, if if they'd have told you you're out there for another two days, it'd be no no problem, right? Where am I, where am I at least going to uh, set up some sort of defense tonight? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So after the Ramadi 500, uh, let's see. There was, I think, in that time, the rest of November and uh, the beginning of December, we did a lot of clearance operations in the souk, uh, nothing, I mean, too crazy of note throughout the time. Uh, you know, unfortunately we, we'd lose some guys from, uh, some of the other companies during this time. And, uh, you know, it's, it was like pretty often that, you know, we would find ourselves in, in what we would call River City. You know, we'd, we'd rotate back to Hurricane Point for a break every now and then, like just for just for a night. I mean, but it, that'd give us a chance to get out to uh, one of the big army bases like Camp Ramadi or Blue Diamond, where we could go to the PX, uh, you know, get cigarettes, chew, um, energy drinks. I, I love those, uh, like Starbucks double espresso drinks or whatever. Like I just consumed coffee. Like it was cool. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I forgot where I was going with that, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, uh, you know, we're just leading up to this, this, what the biggest operation to date. And, it was going to go right into the heart of the souk and that that was this building 10 mission and it was called uh operation way city named after uh the you know biggest house to house battle in vietnam way city and uh i think that i'm pretty sure that kicked off december 19th and it was the beginning of it was another clearance, another clearance push. Uh, I mean, this was like <clears throat> right before the surge would officially begin in 2008 or no, in 2007, 2008 was the Afghan surge. So 2007 was like the Iraq surge and yep. it was before it was officially announced. And I think it was the 15th Mew. I think it was two, four was the unit that came in like, a. I I think it was, echo company for them there's a book on it and uh you know we got reinforced for this i mean it was just a a massive operation um 
our platoon, third platoon, and just everything you can think of from engineers to CBs to uh, uh, snipers, um, everything, man. And we did this did, huge uh, clearance. One, sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, no, Is, no problem. Are, uh, are these these ops linked with uh, some of the stuff that you might hear on Jocko's podcast about the Ramadi push and some of the ops in Ramadi? Were you working together with, with those guys or? So, uh, so uh, Jacko and um, Task Unit Bruiser, SEAL Team 3, they left, I think, late September, early October. And then they were replaced by SEAL Team 5, which I'd later come to find out that was Marcus Luttrell's team, the, the dude from Lone Survivor. Yeah. Um, so uh, we kind of had like a, a crossover with both of those teams. Um, but I think, uh, I mean, <laughs> so when we were at Oki Hurea early on, I think it was that first week we were there, we had some uh, Navy SEAL snipers come out and I, I, I have no idea who they were. Like I couldn't tell you, I couldn't remember them to this day, but I, I took them around the roof just like the 3-8 guy did with me. Yeah. And I was like showing them around. I was telling them all the same stuff that dude told me along with, you know, my experiences from the last week. And I, I, I don't know what they're doing. I think they're hunting another sniper. I think they're trying to do counter sniper stuff. So I have no idea who it was though, but I'm pretty sure it was dudes from SEAL Team 3 because uh, it was really early on. And then uh, and then I read uh, Marcus Luttrell's book, Service, a Navy SEAL at War. And he was talking about, 17th security station and how they were attached to that operation so um those are the only connections that i personally have to yeah. to the seals so um but i know i know they were there i know they were doing a lot of good things so uh you know nothing but res respect for i mean you know just in general i mean anyone in ramadi like respect like that's is it shit place to be in so <laughs> you know uh so leading up to to building 10 was um uh, we we knew it was big we knew it was big going into it and we we didn't i at least i for one certainly did not expect what was going to come up during those those days so uh So the clearance operation went pretty good. Um, we were on one building and I was up on the roof and providing overwatch. And <laughs> there's a convoy coming up the street and it's like our seven tons with all of our packs and stuff for like the next, you know, we don't know how the hell long we're gonna be out in the city. And they were rolling up the street and one of them rolls over uh, an IED and just explodes and just showers me with like, you know, debris and whatnot, like not a big deal, but that was our seven ton with all of our packs on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I guess it was kind of a big deal. So, uh, <laughs> so that was like kind of a, uh, I don't know, I guess like an omen for what would to come yeah. for what would be to come. So the rest of the night pretty much went off without a hitch. Um, when we get to building 10, clear it out, not a problem. Dogs sniff through 
nothing no no they didn't pick up anything so we we're like all right cool like let's get to work like this is our new home so we start moving in sandbags uh kevlar sheets which is like you know a piece of drywall but it's made of kevlar so it's like 150 pounds ridiculous um start moving all that stuff in weapon systems radios uh, chow water you know all all this stuff that's yeah. going into a new you know brand spanking new outpost right so we're plugging along and morning prayer comes about and just as we'd expect you know being in the you know having al-qaeda in iraq aqi wake up and say oh look who's in our backyard they don't belong here. So just right away, I mean, one of the army engineers, I think it was an army engineer. He, uh, he was working one of the crane operators dudes and, yeah. um, he, uh, he took a round through the leg. So he was our first casualty that morning. Um, another Humvee had been parked over an IED. So they, you know, they set that off, uh, um, And then uh, I was taking a, a, a break. I went back to my pack to get another can of chew and I'm, I'm packing it, walking up, you know, cracking it open and I'm walking back up to the front of the building and I see two of my buddies coming walking towards me. And I was like, hey guys. And I was just about to tell them like, hey, you want to chew? And as soon as I said, hey guys, just everything turned black. I mean, just a black cloud of smoke just erupted out of nowhere. Like one, one second it was, you know, I could see clear through right out the front door. Mm-hmm. And then the next second it was just black, but it wasn't like the black I had experienced the first time where I was knocked out. Like I was conscious. I was thrown back. Like I remember everything. I just remember them disappearing in this cloud of black, but I get thrown back and, um, you know, I, I, I get my bearings and I just, I charge forward. Like, I'm like, Oh shit. Like my buddies are, I don't know. So I, I, I run forward into the cloud and, um, you know, right away I see one of my buddies just, you know, sitting up against the wall and, you know, I get down and I'm like, Hey, Hey, you know, like, you know, try not to move him as much. Cause I, you know, like spinal injuries and, mm-hmm. and all that, like, so I'm like, hey, like trying to sh- gently shake. I'm like, hey, are you like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And then all of a sudden he just like, like jolts and grabs onto me. And he's just like, and I'm like, it's okay. It's Pruitt. It's Pruitt. It's Pruitt. I got you. I got you. And he's like, I can't see. I can't see. And his, his eye pro, his Oakley's with the, the clear lenses are just completely blacked out, uh, you know, and his whole entire face is blacked out. His little camis, everything is just covered in the soot. So I take off his glasses and that's when I, I, you know, he's got like raccoon eyes, you know, reverse (laughs) raccoon eyes. Right. And he's just, he's just bewildered, like just trying to make sense. I'm trying to make heads and tails of things. And I'm like, Hey man, I got you. I got you. Like, so I help him up and you know, he's all just concussed, you know, just, you know, like at at this point in my life, like, yeah, absolutely. This dude has a brain injury hundred percent, you know, like, so I take him, we take, I take him to the BAS and it's just went back for a couple more guys, brought him back and, um, you know, it was just mass casualty. An IED had been in place in the entrance of the building and 
the only reason it was 10 wounded in action is because they thank god buried the ied too deeply yeah, and covered right. up with concrete i mean i mean finish it off perfectly like no one ever suspected a thing and the and just the the crater that you know we have pictures of it and it's just like so they'd put the ied underneath concrete and then poured a pad yeah Damn. yeah like and, masons and, like masons and was it command wire or it, it must have been it, it must have been, been because after that happened i mean we started getting i mean we've been taking machine gun fire and and all that all morning but once that ied went off that's when we knew they were i mean we we could reach out and touch them yeah without with our hands like they were that close i mean and, command wire like you have to you don't have to have line of sight you can just do it on a, on a whim but like right. if you're going to make the most of it you have to see what what's going on or where the ied yep. is so it's like it's going to be close it's going to be with it had to be command for how deeply it was buried yeah. like i don't there's it couldn't have been any other way to, to set that Man, off it's fucking um, crazy but no no casual uh, no no kia just wounded no kias um wow, we had insane. a we had a dude who was the same guy that was in the high back with me during utley he uh he unfortunately wound up um losing vision in one of one of his eyes um but that was i think that was the the worst part of it um but after that we started receiving mortar fires where we took more casualties uh just just a lot of guys you know we lost uh you know three guys to injury from our platoon we probably should have lost like five more that shouldn't have been i mean they didn't operate or anything for like the next two or three days like yeah. they just stayed back at the bay like at our wherever we were hiding out time. because uh after after that happened um you know i i tried to go to the roof like third platoon was up on the roof like they were holding it down up there but i was just like like screw this like i'm i don't want to sit around and, and wait so i went up there and um I was jamming away and one of the third platoon guys said like, Hey, like, aren't you in second platoon? I was like, yeah. And they're just like, they could just call down over the radio. Like everybody needs to like, all second platoon needs to get together. Like right now. I was just like, all right, fine. So I go back down and go back to our room and we're just sitting in there, like sitting in there. I'm just like, what, what the hell are we doing? Like, I'm, I'm going to go back to the roof. And then my team leader was like, no, like you need to stay here. I was just like, like, all right, fine. You know, of course I'm going to listen to him. Um, and then I, and then we start hearing like shouts of Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. And we hear just these thuds coming off of the wall and then just grenades exploding outside of the wall that we're sitting next to. And, and that's when everybody was all, when everyone else was just like, yeah, screw this. Like, let's, let's go. So we all just like get up and just start heading for the door. And that's when, um, our squad leader finally comes in and he's like, all right, get all your stuff. We're moving out. Like we're, we're evacuating the building. And we're just like, where are we going? <laughs> 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 and uh, I don't think anyone knew. I honestly don't think anyone had a freaking clue where we were going at that moment. Anywhere, anywhere but here. Um... Anywhere but here. Yeah. That's exactly it, man. So uh, we, 
we popped smoke and egress out of the building. I mean, it was like in, in Black Hawk Down, bro. Like, uh, when the when the bullets from the helicopters are like raining down on them, yeah, yeah, yeah. like that was that was us leaving the building. Like there was an Apache right over the top of us, just laying down, just hate, just hate and discontent on everything. <laughs> um, and, and God, that was like another thing too. Like that whole time, man. Like Apaches, you could just hear them just coming around, and every every loop was just, <laughs> just like. Oh my God. Like how, how the hell does anyone ever make it out of that kind of situation type of thing? Um, but, uh, so we go, <laughs> yeah, you're, you, you're right. Those, uh, you know, those, you see those videos of Apaches firing their, uh, their cannon. Yeah. And you think, oh man, they fucking missed. You need to remember that those rounds are fucking HE. They're like, every one of those is like a little grenade. <laughs> yeah yep it's freaking nuts dude yeah they're crazy man they're they're a godsend when they come on station as well though you're like oh, oh thank fuck hell yes <laughs> oh man yeah so uh we we uh bust out of that place at a building 10 and um oh, i forget the building number that we went to but it was this big three-story office building and um you know i i had just gotten blown up like the month prior uh when, when McCon died and then um and then I got my bell rung pretty good inside that building too like I you know I was just on the outside of that black smoke and uh I I I crashed like I don't I you know one of my buddies he was like dude I thought you were dead like you would not wake up like you there people were just shaking me like lifting me up off the ground and dropping me and I would just be like <laughs> But I was just toast. Like, so <laughs> eventually they, they woke me up and they were like, dude, we, we need to get out of here. Like, I'm like, oh God, like what happened now? Like what, what could possibly have happened? Like <laughs> what else is left? And they're just like, this building's rigged to blow too. And I'm like, you know, at this point you're just kind of like, yeah, just blow it. Let's just, you know, just put an end to it. Um, but yeah, so we, we came to find out that they had those old like 70s style like wood panels, like uh, as their wall decor type, mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah, yeah. So one of our corpsmen, who's kind of a, a clumsy oaf, we, you'd say, he goes by the name of Goon. Shout out to Goon. <laughs> uh, so he trips, hits one of these wood panels, it falls off, and behind it's just one five five, one five five connected with debt cord yeah, yeah. going from one to one, like the whole wall. So, uh, yeah, we got out of there pretty quick. Um, and then we went into this neighborhood where we would stay with like this, uh, uh, family for a little bit. And those next two to three days were just patrolling through the soup uh doing raids clearing out stuff and i mean we found all sorts of like al-qaeda's shooting range where they'd go and practice we found uh graffiti on the walls explaining like how to avoid detection coming through the city like what houses to go through because yeah. i mean dude all these houses like they would have like just null walls knocked out yeah like and, little rat and, runs 
Yes. Yeah, exactly. Little rat runs. Perfect way to describe it. And, and those were everywhere, everywhere. And, you know, we would go into these houses and we'd find these guys, you know, we they'd hang these big tapestries over them. And I mean, oh, and I love looking at these things, you know, I'm like, oh man, those things are like really rad looking. <laughs> and then, and then you notice like a little puff of wind would come up and it would like ripple it and be like, the, the hell? Like that ain't right. So you'd like kind of go and like, you know, look around the edge and then you pull it out and you'd be like, oh, <laughs> look at that. Uh, hey, hey, buddy, what's the deal with that hole over there? And you'd be like, oh, yeah, you're you're coming with us. Yeah, like, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that would happen, happen a bunch. And did, uh, so, uh, did you ever, did you ever, so I, I don't know much about this, but did you ever experience or see any of the, um, the so-called i don't know what you would call them slaughterhouses or torture yeah. torture houses or whatever yeah yeah those are those weren't cool um you know the first first experience i think with that was going through the hospital and we went through like the uh i guess i don't know kind of the underbelly of it where i think they would store the bodies like a bunch of refrigeration units that were gigantic and I mean, even down there, it was, you know, just random blood streaks. And you're just like, oh, okay. Uh, just fucked. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and and we'd go through, you know, parts of the souk. Um, I think it was on the, the Thanksgiving clearing clearance op that uh, a lot of those places were found in the souk. I mean, just... Uh, you know, chains on the wall with, with shackles, um, meat hooks hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. And, you know, just, you know, that, that, you know, how blood dries like dark and just, you know, just looks, just looks nasty. Um, yeah, that, that was, uh, you know, just, just another part to add to, you know, regardless of why we went there, like, there's a there's a good reason why we're here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, bro, it's a you fucking know? crazy trip. That 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 fucking deployment. I mean, Jesus. I mean, just 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 crazy. Um. So we finally got uh, pulled out of the city. You know, we spent the the next three days there um, doing patrols during the day, or not the day during the night. Uh, during the day, um, it was just a, a firefight. The entire day i mean they they really did not want us moving into this place so what happened was uh we scratched the whole plans for building 10 becoming an outpost um just completely scrapped it so across the street on the um i guess it'd be the northeast corner of this trapezoid that created the souk mm -hmm. um they demoed a bunch of buildings created this like big parking lot but in the process ruptured whatever water mains and sewage lines that were there so uh, just it might as well have been called swamp katana instead of op <laughs> katana like it's just disgusting just mud everywhere uh the i mean the boys from almost, the boys from florida would have loved that though right <laughs> yeah everglades everglades <laughs> anyone come, come on over like <laughs> but i mean just some places were like 
you know, chest high water and, and just miserable. So we, you know, they built this, basically this outpost out of, you know, just rubble and, you know, put these Texas T 13 wall concrete barrier or 13 foot wall barriers around the entire thing. Um, made these posts out of Connex boxes with like, uh, I mean, these posts were built out of Kevlar and sandbags and bulletproof glass. Like there, there's barely any wood to them besides like the main structure. Uh, just ridiculous amount of work that went into this. And um, so every night after we got pulled out and this is like December 23rd, 24th. And we go back out every night just put sandbags in this place. Like they just brought in truckloads of sandbags. So every night we we're going out there hauling sandbags every single night, going back, sleeping the whole day. And you know, uh, that whole river city thing, you know, that's a, you know, like radio silence for, to give, the chain of command a chance to to reach the families back at home for you know a soldier marine yeah. who was lost in combat so i mean every time we'd go back and you know we did have a chance to get to the the internet cafe or the phones they'd be like we're shut down right now yeah i don't know what you like, call it but we call it uh we we have the uh, uh procedure in place called minimize um and it, it's basically that like all communications okay. all communications out of theater are on hold until the family's notified of you know death yes um so that's for us it's called op minimize i don't know if it, you have a an operational name for it or if it's just yeah we just i just know it by uh i think pretty sure we called it river city yeah like that was yeah so it was all alt minimize op like as op, an oper op, operation gotcha yeah yeah i mean i guess you could call that opsec you know like same same type of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. um just uh yeah just make one you know i yeah I, I definitely wouldn't want to hear about something on social media no exactly like, sure. yes but and yeah. i mean back in the day like well i say back in the day it makes me sound like a fucking ancient but um, <laughs> i mean this was 2006 brother yeah i never had a, I, never, I never had a smartphone and when i was in afghan 2008 2000, uh, 2009 i never had a smartphone mm -hmm. until 2012 or 13 i think so yeah, right. like we had, it was, you know, you go to the little, the little uh, ISO container with the computers in it and you, you the same thing with the phones. They have like little phone booths and use your phone card to call home. And mm -hmm. that's how you, 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 know, you would contact people back home through Facebook and email and stuff like that. But yeah, definitely, um, definitely it's a fantastic thing that we as, you know, the British Army have in place and obviously yourselves have the same thing because the worst thing that a, a mother of someone who's just lost their son wants to find is the message third hand through someone who's just posted it on online you know be it a journalist or be it one of their buddies it's you know paying, paying their mm -hmm. respects like absolutely no way in the world should that ever happen it should right. you know that the, you know the full the full force of the fucking military should do their utmost to make sure that the mother or whoever you know mm -hmm. next to ken is notified absolutely first before anyone else yes um, yep 
but yeah op minimize for us they they do a good job of that and i mean we've had a we've had a few rogue instances where it's not been the best mm-hmm. service that the the parents or the next of kin have had but for the for for the overarching uh populace it's been as far as i can tell it's been it's been a great thing you know they you know had everything covered you know total total respect you know family left to their own devices to do whatever they want and they get yeah. they get the control of you know what whatever's in whatever's in the soldiers will or whatever so we've had mm-hmm. a few instances where it's not been handled the best but for for the majority it's been it's been fantastic so we do a good job of that we don't do a good job of most things though <laughs> but that's one thing that we do we do do a good job on well that, that, i mean that that's very important so yeah i mean uh yeah definitely um so after let's see building 10 we we i mean we fortified that place and it took about probably close to a week and a half or two weeks before we could actually like go out there and and stay Mm -hmm. where they would be like okay this place is like okay enough to house a, a platoon here because it was i mean every day like even when we did get there, there were still like a, a tank over here, a tank over here, and a tank over here just to back us up because it was just so uh, uh, kinetic at that time. Um, so the fun wasn't over quite yet, but there was a, a definite change in the city after after that. Um, and that, and that's what I referenced to as the the awakening, and the Al Anbar awakening was led by this guy named uh, a lot of well a lot of historians and and authors credit Sheikh Sitar for the the awakening and getting other local tribes around Ramadi to um, you know they were sick of Al Qaeda determining how they live their life because they would come in and say this is how you are going to live if you don't like that well we'll take a drill to whoever we we see fit um so just they were sick of their brutal tactics and uh, you know we'd been kicking their ass you know left and right um and eventually you know it's the whole hearts and minds thing and and to a to a boot marine like me at the time you know i i wanted nothing to do with that you know, I just wanted to go in there and, you know, a lot of us just wanted to be like, why isn't this a second battle of Fallujah? Like, why can't we have just the battle of Ramadi be like battle of Fallujah, just go through level the entire city. We're done. Yeah. But of course, you know, politics, higher chain of command was like, nope, we're not going to do another Fallujah that didn't go well with the press. It didn't go well with the war effort, yada, yada, yada. So Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do the um, clear, seize, and hold method. So you clear an area, seize it, and then you hold it. And you just begin operating out of there. And that's what we've been doing, you know, with um, OP Utley, 17th Street Security Station, OP Katana. There are all these strategic spots throughout the city where we would clear them, seize them, and then hold them and go to the next spot. So... Building 10 um, gave way to OP North, which was 
quarter mile north of where um, OP Katana was, and OP North was easy <laughs> in yeah. comparison to the rest of everything. <laughs> I mean, we had we had we had everything like locked down to a science. Like we we wouldn't bring in trucks and stand on the back of the trucks and bend down lift the sandbag above our head and hand it somebody on the roof, right? <laughs> we, we would use a crane and they'd use like a big, <laughs> um, like a cargo net, yeah, right? Put yeah. a bunch of sandbags on the cargo net, lift it up on the crane and drop it onto the roof. And we were just like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so OP North was like, I mean, we put that place together in like two days. It was amazing. I mean, the, the CBs came through there and rigged everything up with air conditioning. Um, uh, just those dudes are awesome. Uh, oh, shoot. One thing I forgot to mention back in January, I was sitting at a outpost called OP63. And I'm staring at this random cow that just walked in the middle of the street. And it's just staring at me on post and I'm looking at it through this little rat hole through a wall with bulletproof glass in front of it. So I'm just staring at this cow and I get a call over the radio and it's like, Hey, Pruitt, you sitting down? And I just answers back like, I'm on post, like, no shit. He's like, uh, Roger that. Um, we got extended. And it's just like, thinking to myself, we we're supposed to, you know, leave in like three weeks. Yeah. And I'm just looking at this cow and he's just like, you okay? And I'm like, <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm good. And he's just like, how would you guys feel about some, some steak tonight? And they're just like, what? And like, I'm looking at a cow right now. Like we should have some steak tonight. And they're just like, that's not going to go over well. I'm like, all right, <laughs> you know, all right, all right. Like, but yeah, dude, there's just this random cow comes out and then I hear we get extended. So I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I love cheese and dairy, but I kind of hate cows because of that. <laughs> I don't know why. Man, just, a, just a bringer of bad news, I guess, to me now. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. The things that you, I don't know, see or the the goings on that happen when you're when you're on on sentry or whatever you know you're up there for sometimes four hours on your own just looking out you're like oh, man. what the hell is going on you know oh so did you guys usually only do like four hours no i mean we've done one two and then you know it might be the the odd occasion that it just so happens that there's only enough guys that you have to do long long sentry oh. positions but um mm -hmm. like you mentioned earlier on but like we we have much less manpower so sometimes yeah, yeah. sometimes this the the stags as we call them centuries um just have to go longer which is i think right. four four right. is probably the long the longest that we would have done um or longest that i ever done um but <laughs> it's not uncommon for guys to have done an eight hour century you know if they're not going on patrol yeah. that day you'd, you'd be up there all day kind of i mean it's essentially oh, just an eight hour shift like you would do as a civilian you know um right. as a security guard or something like that you know you're stood eight hours just fucking doing some bullshit security job but um mm. but at the time you're like eight fucking hours this is absolutely ridiculous 
<laughs> and you'd bitch and you'd moan and fucking all this sort of shit. And then looking back, I'm like, listen, you're at fucking war. Deal with it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. man. And that and that was uh, dude. We we had to do like six on six off for like a week straight during when um, 17th Security Station was being built. Yeah, we were doing six on six off at Op Hawk, which was just absolutely boring as hell because at, at that point op hawk hadn't been attacked since like utley yeah. happened so it was just like just monotonous it was just staring out at nothing and listening to the rest of the city just get into just these huge firefights especially with 17th uh 17th street security station was just I, yeah i mean, I mean I, that's I mean, a story in its own right it's, ki- like, it's kind of similar it just it it's just how you want to break the time down so Sometimes we do an hour on, hour off, or sometimes we do four hours on, five off, or six off, yeah. or whatever. You know, it literally just depends on numbers at the time and mm-hmm. positions that you have to man. Sometimes you've got four positions you may need to man. Sometimes you've only got two. Right. Sometimes you've got fucking six or whatever. So uh, mm-hmm. it really all depends. But most of the time, that we're we're keeping it as short as possible to keep the guys engaged and fresh you know so let's say we've got a six on six off situation we'd we'd rather break it down and do an hour on hour off or two hours on two hours off or whatever rather than six six and six dude i would i would have loved to do that (laughs) let me tell you man i mean there were there were times when um we were at this new place opi katana and uh they would be doing like these huge operations and I, I remember this one time we were on post for 18 hours straight. Just like, what? This, it was, it was, yeah, that was crazy. Um, but let's, I'm, I'm going to wrap Iraq up because yeah, let's, we just got to get moving on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it, it didn't, the combat didn't just stop with building 10 and after getting extended, um, there were still more firefights. And, uh, fortunately we lost uh, a few more guys during those months, but I want to make the point clear that the battle of Ramadi was not done in December. Like a lot of historians and authors and people have made that claim and all that, but it was far from over. Um, we began to recruit more Iraqi police into the ranks and, and most of those guys had been shooting at us like a few weeks ago. And it's it's not hard to tell who was an insurgent and who wasn't because they would go out and they would find these, I mean, these caches that were just Machine guns, rockets, mortars, 155s, um, IED making materials, uh, electronics, all that stuff. And they'd bring it all back to uh, OP Katana. I mean, just truckloads of stuff. They would, ha- they had these F-150s that we, you know, that we gave them and they would just come back, just loaded up. And we'd be like, where'd you get that from? How'd you find it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that, that happened, you know, towards like the end of February and the month of March. I mean, that was like almost every day they'd be bringing back 
freaking just loads of shit just just loads of stuff and after op north was put up you know i'd be on post that night and we'd watch these patrols these iraqi police patrols come out of um op katana because we were trying to transition that over to iraqi police like the whole thing so we'd see these patrols come out and they just walk up um oh man what's that road called <laughs> get the fucking map out i love I got that. My map. Uh, oh man i can't read it that's not the right name what the hell was that road you look like an officer reading that map yeah like a freaking idiot <laughs> just kidding i got some i got some officers out there that i got mad respect for but uh didn't have a lot of good experiences with with the many no, um just but anyway so so i mean this this road is like a straight straight shot north from op katana up to op north so we could see you know people coming up from pretty much almost the outpost so we, we would see these um we, we'd start calling them death squads because we would just we'd see them come up and then they cut down a side street a few minutes later we just hear and then we'd see them walking back down the street and down to the next block over and we'd hear more gunshots and we we're just like these guys are like going through and like they know where all these foreign fighters are like these are the local dudes going through and just they know who's who and if you don't belong in ramadi see you later so yeah um let's see So 2007, April 23rd, I turned 23. So I spent my birthday on post and I think it was maybe a day or two after that, that I was on a early morning shift, like, um, oh shoot, how was it spread out? Probably from like zero six to noon. And, uh, I'm on post and the sun's coming up and we just see this huge crowd of people just walking towards us. And we're just like, what the hell is this? Like, this is something like that. This is the last thing I expect ever, mm -hmm. ever in Ramadi. And just this massive crowd of people is just coming up. And, you know, we, we pop off flares and we're just like, you know, just get them to stop so we can send out, uh, a patrol and an interpreter to just find out what what the hell is going on so i call it down to the coc and I, I just you know i report everything i'm seeing i'm like there's men women children they have like a ton of stuff they have baggage uh carts um like this this is really weird so they send out the patrol and the interpreter and you know this is the the pinnacle of the awakening this is all the people who left ramadi who found out like hey the in conjunction with the tribes the the marines the army u.s coalition um ramadi is a safe place to move back to i mean just droves yeah. of people droves of people and the last 30 days we were in city in the in in ramadi 
there wasn't a single shot fired. Um, and in those last 30 days, I mean, it was just a, a steady stream of people just coming into the city. I mean, schools reopening. We went and did like humanitarian missions, food drops, all yeah. sorts of stuff. Like it was, it was unreal after that, all that shit that we just went through to see these people coming back and, and just bringing the city back to life. I mean, at, at first we would, we'd see people come out with um, shovels and at the beginning of deployment, if you had a shovel in your hand, you were, you were dead. Like you weren't making it out of that alive. Yeah. Shovels meant you were digging in 90, but now those shovels meant they're trying to clean up their streets. You know, like they brought wheelbarrows out. They're just trying to clean up where they live. Um, so it was, it was, it was really um, amazing to see. But at the first time, we were always on edge. Yeah. Like, when's when are we going to get hit again? You know, that that was just always in the back of our minds because that's what the last seven to eight months had been. What's just, the uh, what's the time frame from? start of deployment to to the end and in in terms of this re re reinvestment from the po local populace into their own city um so i would so it's a city of 500 to 600,000 people and i don't know the numbers of how many people stayed behind but i we ran into a lot of civilians um throughout the entire deployment but um but this this one this one moment in in particular where you see all the, this influx of people coming back, what, what was that? It it had to have been thousands of people. Yeah, and I mean it was just how long right, was that? How long was that from when you got there until then? It was probably the end of April, beginning of May. So uh, we got there early September. Um, you're only supposed to be there for six seven months. Got extended in January, and then went through the end of May. Yeah. Or like, I think we pulled out like May 22nd, I think we left. So the whole month of May was just these people moving back. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just a steady, steady drove. It's a big just, change in what, eight months? Massive change. Yeah. yeah. Massive change. I mean, dude, when we had, <laughs> when we had the new unit come in, uh, two seven and, uh, those guys had been getting all the training that we had sent out, you know, like early on in the deployment, like never stay in, a, uh, in the same spot for, you know, longer than a few seconds. So we had these guys coming on the post with us that were just like jitterbugs, just like moving everywhere, like, like all over the place. And we just be like, stop, <laughs> stop. Like you are literally in a bulletproof environment right now because we had these uh, posts made that had um, bulletproof glass up here and then these like uh, Air Force steel panels that um, were like for jets or I don't know, but they um, they could drop down and that would be your gun portal. So they would, you know, you'd lift those yeah. back up when you didn't have to shoot, but when you had to, you just drop them down. So like literally like we're in this aquarium of... <laughs> just a bulletproof <laughs> aquarium so we we're just like dude just stop like let me tell you about the first eight months and then let me tell you about the last few weeks so it, it was i mean just a stark contrast especially seeing those guys come in and just like see how they handled this environment you know after hearing everything we'd gone through 
and then to find out that um i think two months later yeah june july in july they ran like a 5k down racetrack <laughs> oh my god yeah right like, <laughs> when i heard that i was just like you gotta be kidding me like there's no way that that's madness like, yeah but they're like yeah the the and the whole city like was completely turned around like it's that's uh, awesome though yeah i mean i could I, I still to this day i'm just like it, i'm amazed by it just from the first six months that we were there and you know the, the two months after that which were kind of like oh is this still crazy as it seems and you know some days it was and then other days it was like man this is boring yeah uh but you know boring's good after all that for for the most part um so yeah you know the awakening happened people moved back in it was completely different completely different deployment from there on out so um so we get back to the states and you know it's it's like one of those things where you're just like i don't know how much you know what do i tell my parents like they're gonna ask like what was it like and I don't know if it was a mistake or it was kind of a good thing for me to just kind of just bear it all out to him. Like I had this map with me that I was looking at, like a moronic officer. And um, I was showing them all these different spots and telling them, you know, not everything, but, you know, some of the, the big events. And I just didn't get much back from them, yeah. you know, just besides like, you know, like we're just so thankful you're, you're, you know, you're here and, you know, that is amazing what you did. And, and, you know, that kind of just put that thought into the back of my head is like, Oh, well, I should probably be careful, like how I say some things. And, um, you know, it kind of put me more, it kind of made me more reserved, I guess yeah. with everything. And, but I mean, that, that didn't last forever. I had, uh, Obvi I had ob obviously, yeah, I mean, I had a very, very similar experience. Like uh, when I came back, like I didn't know what you what you were meant to do. Like, like I guess the the main thing is that, or the the thing that you might think from movies and stuff is that you come back and you just get yourself in a little bubble and don't say a word about anything that you've done. But mm -hmm. you know, eighteen year old as I was, you know, I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to i guess when people ask i'm going to tell them and and then i don't i think that one of the things that i do regret is i got drunk one time and uh i guess my mom i think i think it was christmas or something because my mom was drinking with me so i got drunk and then my mom was there and she was a little bit drunk as well i think i think this is going off memory but i, I ended up telling her pretty much everything that happened and i and i was I like when i look back on that now i kind of cringe and I kind of regret doing that, but you know, when, at the time you don't have a fucking clue what you're meant to do or what you're not meant to do and what's best for yeah. everyone else. And fuck it, it is what it is. And you just have to live with it. So it's, it's definitely one of those things that you don't know how you're supposed to react. Like you, like when I came back as well, I just blew all my money on useless crap. Like I spent like 400 <laughs> bucks on or 400 pounds on, on a night out on a, on a Wednesday night. It's like, <laughs> right what the yep. fuck like you got all this money you don't know what to do you've been wanting to go out in the piss for so long come home and then you're just like 
spend all his money. You've got a girl on your arm. You're just like, fuck it, I am king. And then <laughs> a month later, no. you've got nothing. <laughs> you broke. <laughs> yeah, damn, yeah. That, that's exactly my situation. A month later, I was it, I was waiting for payday again. And I'm like, damn, this is kind of, it was good yeah. while it lasted. But the girl yep. I was with ended up, I guess <laughs> we ended up doing our own things. And I don't know, I, I wasn't in a bad place, but I just, it was, I come back and lived like a fucking king for a month. It was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I hear you, man. Like, yeah, it was coming back. You have a little cash in your pocket. And I mean, when I got back, dude, like I went back home and, you know, you see all, all the, in all the movies, like dudes return from war, go to the bar. And it's just like, they just get drinks like thrown at them. It wasn't like that at all for me. I don't know like, if I've ever been bought you know, a drink ever. Exactly. Like nobody... Nobody gave a shit. Yeah. And I was just like, well, I mean, I guess, you know, in, in part, you know, that's just kind of my own fault for my own expectation. But, uh, you know, that was just kind of like my, you know, my first like big rift with uh, society, you know, coming back. Um, it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a completely different person now. Completely different. And... You know, I, I just kind of send it home and uh especially man like i went to this bar out in swansboro and i mean i just got wrecked and and this was like within three weeks of being home and you know we had these uh memorial bracelets made up and uh, i i had one made up for mccon and i ordered you know enough for our whole platoon and i had that on and um you know, I just overheard these guys talking like we were we we're getting ready to leave. And I was just like, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go have a smoke and go outside and just I'll wait for you guys there. So I'm just waiting. There's a line to get into this place. So I'm just sitting outside and I just hear these guys like talking about the war. And, you know, one of them just says like, you know, I just, I just can't even like follow it anymore. Like I just, I cannot, I don't care about the news. And in my mind, he's like, he said, I don't care about the war. And yeah. I flipped, dude. I flipped. Like I went up to him and I was just like, "What? You don't care? Like you, what? You don't care about this?" And you know, I held up my fist and showed him the the bracelet. And he like, you know, like at that time, people knew what that meant. Um, especially those guys around Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. Like everybody knew, like the military, the Marines, and all that. And I was just like, "What? You don't care about this?" And he's just like, uh, "No, no, no. Like you, you, you misunderstood me. Like I don't, I don't mean. Like I'm sorry." He was just very apologetic, and I was just like, you know, that at that point, you know, I was still, you know, inebriated, but still, I was like, what am I doing? Like, you know, I totally checked myself right there, and I was just, I was just, I was pissed off. I was sad. I like, I you know, McCon started coming back and just like just broke down, man. Like, yeah. just, just blubbering on the side of the street, dude. Like, total freaking idiot. Like. But it was just one of those first moments where I was, you know, I, you just realize like how much this shit impacts you. Pressure's just been building for so long. And then that's, it's just that one, you know, just that one thing that. That kinda, release. Yeah. Flips a cap off and you get the release. Like I've had a, I've not had any major issues with mental health, but I've had a few of the similar things that you're talking about. Like, um, mm -hmm. and to be honest, I'm embarrassed 
I'm embarrassed as hell to say yeah. that, man. I'm embarrassed about <laughs> it, but and I'm not going to talk about it and divulge it, divulge in the the details. But I mean, like I've I've had similar similar things, like and I don't know, man. It's just fucking. It's just one of those things that I guess I guess we've we've got in common that we just. I don't know what the answers are, or if, if you, if they even there, if there even are any answers other than just fucking dealing with it. Um, and but I guess some thing, people man. can't deal with it, and that's that's the bigger problem. Well, I mean, you gotta, you can't keep that stuff inside. You know, like it has to come out at some point, and you know, if it doesn't come out early on, you know, some. I mean, geez, dude, like between our the 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 deployments i was on you know the the killed in action list is um is long and it's painful to look at you know any anyway any way you slice that but you take that list and you compare it to the list of guys that have died you know from other issues and it's twice as long oh yeah it's like you either you either let this stuff out in one way or you let it out in that way and you know i you know in a way i'm like i'm I'm thankful i look like a complete idiot i made a complete ass on myself but down the road like i don't know maybe that that was the best thing for me uh i don't know if making a complete ass of yourself is is what I would describe that as. I would just. There's a moment of weakness, you know. No, like, definitely. Def- yeah, I mean, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even say a moment of weakness. It's just. It's just real life. Some people. Yeah. Some people, I, I guess, break down at losing their business. Some people break down at losing their parents. Some people break down at, you know, stress and you know. Mm-hmm. Listen. It's it's a fucking rough. It's a train ride of emotions, bro. Being on tour and especially losing boys left right and center like those those years and the you know that you know that time frame of, of fucking iraq and afghanistan was man it, it it's fucking really really rough on your yeah. body as a as a human and i know i don't know if we fully understand it yet but there's a obviously a massive issue with people with long-term lasting uh mental health effects from mm-hmm. you know iraq and afghanistan and maybe the duration of these conflicts has something to do with it. You know, Iraq, what, 17 years. Afghanistan going on 19 years. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we're still there in both theaters, yep. even at a small presence, but we're still there. Like, mm-hmm. that cannot be a good thing. Like, no. World War Two was five years. World yep. War, well, for, for, the, for Europeans was about five years. For Americans, what, three years. World War One was, I guess, what? four four years for overall and you know like that was it start finish start mm-hmm. finish now we've just got long long extended periods of of time where guys are back and back and back and back mm-hmm. um that, that mu- it must have something something to do with it and i think I, I don't know if the way that it was previously where you were were at war until it was finished and then you were out of war as yep. as a good thing uh, because being at war for six months of your life, coming home for a year and going back again for another six months of your life and doing that over and over again, 
that's like you know you're just talking brain chemistry going through the roof ups and downs and ups and downs yeah. and you know i don't know if i don't know if there's ever been a time like that for i don't know humanity you could maybe look back in ancient times where they were at battle and stuff but i don't know if it was on mm-hmm. the freak you know obviously they were they were they were pretty barbaric battles but i don't know if it was at the frequency of what deployments in the past two decades have been it's really really interesting and i, I don't know enough about it to be able to say but you know just yeah. just having an informed and uh informed mind about things you can make mm-hmm. your own assumptions of it but it's definitely it's, it's crazy i don't know what i don't know what we can do about it or what right what, uh, then, what i mean yeah and then there's that whole um you know that stigma coming back from ramadi and you know you go through like the ptsd screening and you wouldn't know what they would do you know like you know and what do what if I said something and now I can't go on the next deployment? Like, I don't. Yeah, you're so you just, just you just lie. You're just, you're just saying what they say, like, what they want to hear. Yeah, and they're just exactly. want, they're just hearing what they want to hear as well. Yep, yep. They don't want they don't want to have to do any extra paperwork. Like, for sure. Yeah. So you just you just tell them what they want to hear, and we go we went on our merry little way. Mut- so mut- it's a mutual decision, isn't it? Like, we don't want to have yeah. any issues in the military with with mental health or with. Uh, with uh, mental health issues long term so we're just going to tick you off and you're just going to say the things we want to hear you saying and you know that's it it's a mutual mutual um uh, deal you go on yep. your career no problems we get our little stats that say that there's no issue here and yep. you crack on but um yeah yep. it's it's crazy anyway here um we'll, we'll we'll cut it there for this part 